is Free Talk Live. You can take control of the airwaves and dial in toll-free. 855-453 is the SACL CAI toll-free line. 1-855-450-3733. You can join us on our website over at freetalklive.com and enjoy the features that we bring to you there. Unlike a lot of those talk show hosts, Free Talk Live's site is free. So head over there and enjoy that on us. And uh, here with you this evening, it is Ian, JJ, and Mark. All right, so we will talk to you about whatever's on your mind. You may take control of the airwaves. That's the point of the program. And we'll bring stuff to the table that you might find interesting as well. Now, it was yesterday that I just barely scraped the surface of this this story from good.is. Good Education is the name of the website. The headline is, 13-year-old slavery analogy raises some uncomfortable truths in school. According to the story, in a bold comparative analysis of the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass, Jada Williams, a 13-year-old 8th grader, at school number 3 in Rochester, New York, asserted that, in her experience, today's education system is a modern-day version of slavery. According to the Frederick Douglass Foundation of New York, the school's teachers and administrators were so offended by Williams' essay that they began a campaign of harassment, kicking her out of class and trying to suspend her. After all, wouldn't want a little, uh, you know, presume Jada's a a young lady. No critique. Uh, Wouldn't want a young lady like this, yeah, it is, uh, kicking her out of class, Uh, you know, giving people ideas. Wouldn't want her to spread her ideas to the other students there who are blissfully unaware of the prison walls that uh, and fences that hold them in. Yeah, that's that's a, a poignant message that, uh, of course, the teachers don't want to be thought of as prison guards. They don't want that sure. on their conscience. That's not what they signed up for. No. I mean, most teachers don't believe in the, you know this particular version of reality. They you know they got into to it to help kids. They wanted to teach mm-hmm. There's and. A re- uh, there, I don't know if you guys have seen the recent documentary, uh, The War on Kids. Uh, have, have you seen it? The War on Kids. Not familiar with it. it now. Sounds it, familiar, it, but I don't think it I've basically seen it. it juxtaposes the prison environment and schools, and it just Perfect. basically it's it's a brilliant sort of uh, this is one chapter in the editing techniques of cutting back and forth. And at some point, prison bus, school bus. Believe it or not, the prison was more accessible than the school. It's like the prison; they were like, "Here's the library, and here's where all the books are." You know, here's the uh, law law library. You mean as far as to the camera crew? Exactly. And then they the, the school they get to the library, and oh, it looks like the library's locked. And they were like, "You could you could see it on uh, some of the editing. It's like they tried to call back and get permission. Oh well, we can't find the administrator. So well, you know, the library's behind this door. Huh. <laughs> yeah, that was basically how the crew. But anyway, it was just like. The, the whole idea of getting into it and the check-in points, and that that's where it was just smacking of resemblance was the, the, the uh, metal detector and that front sort of, uh, I, I guess, uh, porticullis-type uh, uh, entryway mm-hmm. going on. So it was, it was very much— and It was called The War on Kids? That's right. Interesting. Is it on YouTube or is it like a— I found like it online rented on for Netflix. Free. Yeah. If it, well, I found it just, I think, a Vimeo or something huh. like that. Cool. Definitely sounds like it's worth looking at. Yeah, it's good. Maybe this young lady had seen that particular uh, documentary here because they 
ultimately ended up forcing her parents to withdraw her from the school because she was facing so much harassment from I the staff. You know, that's the, the difference between slavery and this is that you can be redeemed, um, you know, anytime your family wishes it to be the case. They can, you know, move you to some other uh, you know, uh, institution like a private school or whatever. The, the laws on, um, you know, kids going to school are pretty strict, but they've, you know, there's this, this loophole that is homeschooling or, you know, um, unschooling whatever you want to uh, whatever the situation is in in that particular family so you know i mean this is you're imprisoned to some extent at the behest of the government but really it it boils down to your parents all right uh sorry i was pulling up the what was her essay i thought it was going to be in written form there's actually a youtube video of her i guess reading her essay out Mm -hmm. loud uh, so they've got some excerpts here from good.is about what this young lady had to say. Again, 13 years old, uh, harassed by students and administrators, excuse me, uh, teachers and administrators for this. Uh, she wrote for a contest, by the way. Williams reflected on what Douglas, the uh, this former slave, is heard his slave master, Mr. Ald, telling his wife after catching her teaching Douglas how to read, saying, if you teach that N how to read, there will be no keeping him. Ald says, this is the master speaking, uh, it, will be, it will forever unfit him to be a slave. He would at once become unmanageable and of no value to his master. Well, why is that? Education's dangerous. Right, and you can't go back from it. That's right. why he's saying that uh, you know, there will be no keeping him. He'll forever be unfit to be a slave at that point because he would have crossed the threshold into knowledge and understanding and uh you know and, and it would have ro- risen above his station in life at that point and there's no going back right so it's very well, dangerous and, and the danger is is that he could teach other slaves the oh, skills yeah. that he learned so exactly. and, and reading is a huge back then at least that was a huge impediment to being a part of society the certain individuals who could read you know and communicate or write letters they often had uh, positions of much greater stature. Men True. of letters. Yep. Williams wrote that overcrowded, poorly managed classrooms prevent real learning from happening and thus produces the same results as Mr. Ald's outright ban. She wrote that her white teachers, the vast majority of Rochester students are black and Hispanic, but very few teachers are people of color, are in a position of power to dictate what I can, cannot, and will learn, only desiring that I may get bored because of the inconsistency and the mismanagement of the classroom. You know when you've got a 13-year-old telling you you're mismanaging your school, you're doing it wrong. Something You're doing something seriously wrong. You should yeah. take heed rather than punish her, rather than get angry. Well, <laughs> maybe you should listen to her. Yeah, you know, I, I mean... Think pride gives you a problem around that, that yeah, point Yeah, absolutely. What? We've done it this way forever! What this, do you know, little girl? I have a degree! And there's <laughs> this, I have a degree! There's this, uh, th- this logical fallacy that is that if you're older, you know more. This, uh, this, yes. uh, this, this idea ad, of wisdom. Argumentum ad antiquated? No, that's not it. That's an old old idea is is you know is is right because it's old. What is the one of of old? I I don't I don't know what it is, but the you know you'll hear it all the time. It's Mm -hmm. ubiquitous in our culture. Is you know you'll understand your elders. You'll you'll understand when you get to my age or whatever. And I think that there's something to it. I absolutely have a different look. Sure, but if you've been wrong your whole sixty years, then. You're still wrong, right? But yeah. I mean, it's not a rational statement to say that we've been doing it all this all the uh, this way the whole time. So you know, we've got to do it this way. Yeah, there's a lot of momentum behind it. Changing this public changing the public school system going going to be nearly impossible. Well, and, and there's a thing to be said with you know experience and wisdom. Like there's there's many uh, opportunities in my field of of 
being a mechanic and fixing things, you know, there's often times where I've had someone working with me and I've said, well, this is the way I usually do it. And they're like, no, 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 I want to do it this way. And at some point I'm just like, well, go ahead, do it your way. And you're going to learn the lesson that I learned. And then you're going to do it my way next time. But I don't say any of that. Right. You don't have to. They're going to figure it out. Well, it's and that's an opportunity to innovate. You never know. You know, they're going to do whatever they're going to do and it's going to work or it's not going to work. Sure. And, you know, you're going to find something out They're At the very least, they're going to find something out at the end well, of it. Hey, yeah, that's that's how I learned how to do a lot of things was just trial and error and just just trying it whatever way I could or whatever way it, it seemed best and then learning from that experience. She wrote that overcrowded, poorly managed classrooms prevent real learning happening. Uh, instead of truly teaching, most teachers simply pass out pamphlets and packets, she says, and then expect students to complete them independently. Because this approach fails, she concluded, beca- uh, this, this, this approach fails, she concluded, because most of my peers cannot read or comprehend the material that has been provided. As a result, she continued, not much has changed since the time of Frederick Douglass. She says, just a different people, different era. And the same old discrimination still rides in the hearts of the white man. Well, uh, Williams called for her fellow students. See to- now, I think that that's the the kind of indictment that uh, that will blind people to whatever it is you're saying. Um, you know, there's this racial tension in the United States, and it ping pongs. It goes back and forth and back and forth. And you know, I've never attempted to. Uh, you know, people might consider me to be white, and I've never attempted to, uh, you know, subjugate anybody based on their race. Well, she may be chalking this up to racial tension when it could just simply be the inefficiency of bureaucracy. That and, she's mistaken. And certainly, there was a there's a point in history where racism would pay. Uh, or maybe she has racist teachers. I mean, there's that possibility. Eight five five four fifty free. That's the SACL CAI toll free line. It's Free Talk Live. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. Are you looking for a concealed carry holster? Crossbreed Holsters is the home of the world-famous SuperTuck, the most comfortable concealed carry holster on the market today. Try one out and see how truly discreet and comfortable carrying concealed can be. And find out why we call it the ugliest holster you'll ever love. We are the standard others try to imitate. Get the original. Get your SuperTuck at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Again, that's CrossbreedHolsters.com. This is Free Talk Live. Toll-free number here is 855-453. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. You can join us on our website over at freetalklive.com. And you can enjoy the features there on the house. Unlike a lot of those talk shows out there, ours is free. You can actually control the content. You submit things to the site. Others vote on them. The most voted up make it to the front page. And when I say things, I mean anything online, any URL. It could be to YouTube or... It could be to a news story or an essay or whatever you think our listeners will enjoy. And then the most voted up will make it to the front and the top of the site over at freetalklive.com. So head over there and get interactive. It's just uh, reading an article today where um, I think it was somebody, uh, an analyst for the Council on Foreign Relations, predicted that uh, if hyperinflation strikes the U.S. dollar, it won't strike it. You know, hyperinflation isn't a gradual thing. Uh, if you know, if this if this snowball gets rolling, it's going to roll quickly. One of the ways to defend yourself against that, to defend your wealth against that, is uh, gold and silver, uh, precious metals. 
if you can acquire precious metals at gold.freetalklive.com, it's important to buy low when you're making an investment. And Free Talk Live, we have teamed up with Midas Resources. They pride themselves on providing some of the best prices on gold and silver available. And you can go to gold.freetalklive.com, take a look at the coins and pieces that we have there. You can price comparison. And every time you buy gold at gold.freetalklive.com, you help Free Talk Live. It's gold.freetalklive.com. All right. So once again, the toll-free number here is 855-450-FREE. That uh, is the SACL CAI toll-free line. You're welcome to comment on this young lady, 13 years old, in school, actually ended up having to leave the government schools that she was uh, she was being held in because she came out and basically called it what it is, a, a version of modern-day slavery. Uh, I would say it's more akin to the prison system than anything else. But she is kind of uh, blaming a lot of it on race, and I don't know if that's the right place to place the blame. But then again, I don't go to her school. I don't know how she's being treated by her teachers. I don't know what you know the one circumstances thing's, are. One thing's clear is that uh, schools that are a majority minority tend to have uh, w- you know worse results than schools that are not. This is in the public school sector. I mean, we've heard right. uh, numbers that on average. Uh, you know, students in public school, 20 percent graduate functionally illiterate, graduate functionally illiterate. But in some areas, it's as high as 40 percent, meaning that in some areas it's much lower. And that's, you know, those I, I'm, I'm willing to wager that the vast majority of those areas are not in large minority populations. It's probably true. We'll continue with her essay in a moment here. Tony has some thoughts in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. Listening to WNMT, Tony, you're on Free Talk Live with the NJJ and Mark. Yeah, I was just going to comment that every school looks like a prison, anyways, and uh, <laughs> it was yeah. just a matter of time before you know the kid was going to call it out. It's true; they it's are true. institutions. When did you notice that? Oh, I noticed it right when I went to school. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, it was just like plain as day. I was like, "Wow, we'll drive by the police station on the way to school." Wow, that looks just like the school. Weird. You know? Interesting. I don't remember when I observed the the difference. I don't know if I was in middle school or the similarities. I don't know if I was in middle school or what, but it definitely was sometime at, at which I was in the schools that I that I figured this out. Um, anything else you yeah. want to share tonight, Tony? No, that's about it. Thanks for the call. I appreciate hearing from you. 855-450-FREE is the toll-free number here. You can see how institutions that would be intended to house uh, or, you know, uh, you know cover, <laughs> shelter a bunch of individuals might look similar. But, uh, you know, with the security that's going into schools every single day, new secu- you know, every, every year new uh, new security is being added to these, uh, these places. And, you know, they are beginning to feel more and more like prisons. Uh, you're finding situations where students are disciplined for carrying, you know, small knife blades. Uh, yeah, the know. zero tolerance policy has led to a lot of absurd actions on the part of school boards across the nation. Guns for small for action figures. I mean, you know, like this, the uh, aspirin, Tylenol. I mean, just crazy things that mm-hmm. are that are occurring and being charged, being given criminal records, well, at least charged um, and fined for being late or uh, you know cutting up in class. Things that would have never happened to adults that are listening to my voice right now that they you know, are probably finding difficult to believe in this post-Columbine, post-9-11 world. Right. Thousands of students in Texas have been charged with uh, Class C misdemeanors because of what they've done at school. Wow. Speaking out of turn, mooning somebody on the bus. I mean, but doesn't it fit, though, or doesn't it, it sort of uh, work this way where the state sort of 
all the different tentacles sort of come together at some point. They are, they all lead up to that that body of the, the bureaucracy of whether it's the, the state itself or the state level or the federal level. But they all sort of all the tentacles come together, and after time, I think you see the police force at least working more and more closely with the schools, resource mm-hmm. officers on staff, twenty four, uh, you know, whenever students are there, lockdowns, you know, all these. Um, as you said, the the security apparatus is growing too, and it's just uh, the color scheme. I mean, there's there's all kinds of different things that make it seem like the state is just combining. It's just sort of it's taking a a, a police station. And a school, and and putting them together into this one, this one. Well, the uh, the school resource officer is a relatively new development. I mean, as of the last couple decades, basically, they had one one at the school that I went to, the, Did public, they? the public school that I went to in the late eighties. So yeah, about the last twenty five. I'm 30 sure years. they started in high schools and worked their way down, but <laughs> I bet you they have school resource office officers in many elementary schools now. That would have been, been, you know, completely unheard of in my in my day. But then again, a cop in school was unheard of, and you know, a decade before that. Why don't you just have a man on a horse with a whip? I mean, cracking it over the students. I mean, this, just to go back to her uh, her analogy here, well, likening schools to uh, a slave farm. I don't know how the resource officers are used these days. I mean, I would not have felt that the resource officer was anyway a taskmaster. But I knew that there was the possibility that the the government might come through and decide to shake down the lockers. Uh, so, you know, there there you were, always prepared for uh, what would otherwise be a violation of the Fourth Amendment, but because you're on their property using their locker, it's not. So, But you're just used to it. You know, you're using public property. You are a, uh, you know, at that point, essentially a ward. At, while you're there, you're a ward of the government. Of course you don't have any rights in that uh, in that sphere. The toll-free number here tonight, uh, if you'd like to share your thoughts and observations on going to government school, 855-450-FREE. And I wouldn't necessarily say that it's exactly analogous to slavery, but I get where she's coming from in that she feels like she's being kept uh, you know, kept down and that these teachers are not doing all they could do. And I can understand why that would be frustrating for somebody who wants to learn. I mean, because some kids do want to learn. I think most kids want to learn until it's beaten out of them by the government school system. And so they're she is frustrated that her peers can't learn they can't even read at this point and they're you know they're in middle school you know and this is uh, look if you consider public and private schools the vast majority of them operate on the same sort of system they uh, you know they they tend to be homogenous with the sexes they segregate by age um, or you know learning level and you know they're they're very many very much the same and it, what seems to be the case and this you can draw whatever conclusion you want from this information is that as the kids get older they lose their love of learning but learning something we all need to do and we all do every day well, you don't lose your love of learning naturally. It's a process that's beaten out of you by the government schools. That's an assessment. We don't know. In my opinion, 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. You can bring up what you want. This is Free Talk Live. Here on Free Talk Live, we've been pretty excited about the Bitcoin. It's a decentralized, free market digital currency. You can learn more about it at weusecoins.com. But if you already have some Bitcoins and you'd like to spend them, you can spend them at spendbitcoins.com. When you spend bitcoins on Amazon via spendbitcoins.com, Free Talk Live gets a cut. Or if you're an Australian trying to figure out how to buy bitcoins, you can buy them with cash at au.spendbitcoins.com. Once again, that's spendbitcoins.com. 
This is Free Talk Live. Toll-free number here for you to bring up what you want, 855-453-FREE. That's the SACL-CAI toll-free line. 1-855-450-3733. Join us on our website over at freetalklive.com and enjoy the features that we have there for you. Uh, Those features include the mobile site. Those of you with a smartphone, you can go to m.freetalklive.com. You'll get quick access to our live streams there as well as the podcast. Again, that's M, as in mobile.freetalklive.com. Porkfest is coming up in about three months. It'll be here before you know it, so get registered now over at porkfest.com. P-O-R-C, as in porcupine, porkfest.com. Uh, last year was incredible, probably the best year thus far. It just keeps getting better as more people get involved, as hundreds of liberty-minded people gather in the woods of New Hampshire for a week of fun and camping and activities and speeches and music. Uh, yep. JJ is music. heading up the musical uh, accoutrements. Hopefully comedy acts. We're going to have some stand-up acts. Hopefully, uh, well, not hopefully. I already have some people uh, volunteering and Sweet. trying to get some big names out there. I don't want to give out too much information. Yeah, you but, can't tease that stuff too early. Yeah, on. I'm not going to. But it, you know, we're trying, it. Yeah, we're trying it. to get uh, some some people to come that are interested in this stuff. And uh, but otherwise, it's going to be a really, really fun time. And the the idea is to get people to move. That's the whole point to of New this. Hampshire as yes. part of the Free State Project. Exactly. That's the the refocusing of this pork fest has been move here. Yeah, and to, uh, to yeah, right, move here sooner rather than later. Yep. Don't wait because liberty and the uh, the stuff that needs to happen in order for us to achieve it is happening now. People are getting active now, but we need more. We need thousands more. We have a thousand people that are here in New Hampshire already as part of the Free State Project, and that's a good starting point. But it's not enough. We've got to have 20,000, and we've only got 11 that are pledged at this point. So we've got 1,000 that have moved, 11,000 that have pledged. And we want to reach 20000 So if you can help us with that, go to freestateproject.org, get signed up, and then get up here and get active. And use Porkfest as your excuse to come check it out, to come scope out the situation over at uh, porcfest.com. I was asked by uh, TSA George if there's a discount code yet for Free Talk Live. The answer is at this time, no. Uh, that's because everyone is getting an early bird discount at this point in time. So if you just go to porkfest.com, get signed up, you're going to get the best rate, as I understand it, that will be offered on Porkfest at this time at this time right. yep so uh, there you go porkfest.com get on board we'll see you there let's go to delivery guy calling from fargo you're on free talk live delivery guy hey how's it going guys i just got pulled over for the sixth time this month wow. oh my goodness what do you drive yeah, i don't know i uh, it's a cavalier with uh, three rum ball bumper stickers on it and i deliver pizza so you know lots of exposure but you don't you don't have one of those bumper stickers that says bad cop no donut right no, but I should get one, I'm thinking. No, I mean, what in the world? I mean, you got pulled over. <laughs> hey, he's already getting pulled over six times. What, <laughs> right. It wouldn't hurt How could anymore. it be worse? Hey, was this, uh, <laughs> is this atypical for you? Were you pulled over five times last month or not, not at I, all? This is the best job in the world. I've had this job for five years. I have never been pulled over this much. I have no idea what is going on. It seems like, like I'm being profiled or harassed somehow. I mean, I, I don't believe it. I'm just so... Frustrated with what they're doing. It makes how, me angry. How new are the Ron, is the Ron Paul sticker? No, see, and now those have been on for months. So, huh. you know, it can't be that, although, you know, the primary was recently, so maybe. I, you know, I don't know. Is but it one know. of those I things no where idea. they. When was the last time before this month you got pulled over? Oh, uh, two years ago? Okay. I so, mean, seriously, that I, I always actually waved to the cops and thought, man, the cops here are good. Because they never, I would speed past them, go through stop signs, because I'm delivering pizza. 
I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make a living here. Right. You know, yeah. So um, I have an important job. Have you been noticing a lot other a lot of other people being pulled over? I'm just at, at this point, we're trying to uh, you know figure out yeah. what's different. Six times in one month I, is really an amazing I, number if you think yeah. about it. And uh, the only thing different about your car, uh, you know, Cavalier. I mean, it's not exactly a new car, uh, but who would want yeah. a new car delivering pizzas? Um, you know, it's uh, the only thing different appears to be the Ron Paul stickers. Um, a lot of other people being pulled over. No, nobody else is being pulled over like this. So I don't know what's going on. You know, but it does seem like the streets are just swarming with more cops these days. Are they hitting you with different charges? Is it all speeding? What are they? What are they? One, going no, on? one was a stop sign. The other was a stop light. And uh, then three of them, they just let me out with a warning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, yeah, I don't even know what it was. About. Have you paid any of these tickets yet? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've uh, paid all except for two. And, and so, yeah, I guess I, you know. I've I've considered taking them to court. What am I going to? I mean, forty bucks. It's going to take me three, four hours. I make twenty dollars an hour. It's not worth. My I heard time. you, man. I don't blame anybody for not wanting to yeah. go to court. But at the on the other hand, you could you could say that maybe they see you as a money bank. You know, like a little piggy bank yeah. that can shake down from time to time. Yeah. Oh yeah, we know him. He he pays us uh, whenever we ask him to. But who doesn't? Yeah, that's true. Most people do. But, I mean, bullies tend to pick on the same people over and over again, don't I you don't think? know. I mean, I, I do. They why know who would, the marks why are. Would they, they tend to take easy marks, but if everybody's an easy mark, why are they pulling him over six times? That's I, a good question. It just doesn't – it just, just doesn't – make any sense the only thing that we can figure out different at this point is uh, are there any other bumper stickers besides the ron paul bumper stickers i got a free state project one because i'm coming there mm, i'm yeah. actually the uh, cat house guy i don't know if you remember me calling a long time ago i'm still working on oh my that God. problem you're the guy that yeah. had the uh the, the house that you bought during the winter time that yeah. uh didn't seem like there was anything wrong with it and then come summertime yeah. it started to reek and uh, turns out there was a bunch of cat dung in the like crawl space, basically that was yep. kind of above one of the floors of the house. And I guess the woman that had lived there before, the couple or whatever, had a bunch of cats, and they got up in there and essentially took a bunch of number twos and yeah. left a bunch wow. of yeah. number twos up there, and it became but quite we're, the uh, we're, the mess for you. We're getting through it though, and so you know when it's done, I'm probably going to have forty, fifty thousand dollars in equity. So I, I'm not going to walk away from that. I want to let that that investment mature and then i'm coming i wanted to come to new hampshire in, inside of the next five years but i i gotta stick here another 10 15 to jeez 10 or 15 sure. years wow yeah i know Man. i know but yeah yeah but then but then i'm there wait I'm you there. think it's going to take that long to get rid of the house or do you have kids that are growing up no well you know when i when i realized the mess i was in i made my wife is japanese um and so they have special showers over there and i made i made a special japanese style shower and at, at quite a great expense. So if I'm going to build such a custom, expensive, beautiful thing, I might as well, you know, enjoy it for a while. And now I know how to build houses. So, you know, in 10, 15 years, I'll come out, probably build another house in New Hampshire. You built a house and made money out of the deal? I, I will now. I mean, because I, I got a small settlement and I've had to do all the work myself. I mean, 
I, you could say I made money. I, was, I built you know, a house. Probably making three dollars an hour. I built a house too, and it was like setting a hundred thousand dollars on fire. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, whatever, uh, whatever your own story is, delivery guy. I, I wish you the best, and hopefully that your plans won't change between now and then, because we sure do need people here sooner rather than later. And you know, if all that's keeping you in uh, Fargo, North Dakota, is a shower, you know, maybe that there's a way to, to make that. Maybe there's a way to make it work over here. I, thank you for the call tonight. I appreciate hearing from you. Hey, you know. Some people have their priorities. Some of it is to uh, to get active for liberty, and some, you know, take a shower. <laughs> Showers are important. You yeah, know, they're they comforting. Are. They're uh, they're nice, and uh, they're you know, it's nice to be able to take one every day. Cleaning with water is kind of old technology, though. I mean, I wonder what what's going to be next. Like some sort of sound waves. I have no shower. idea. I I mean, Just humans break been, the dirt off of you with sound waves. Humans have like been that. bathing in water for I assume as long as they've been bathing, and yeah, but will whatever replace? Like, if there's something more efficient than a shower. Well, that would be the reason to replace it, right? It'd be more efficient, less wasteful. Uh, then would it feel as nice? Because showers can feel pretty nice. You I know, would th- assume. Yeah, I think there has to be something to do with the water as well. And just seeing as these bodies are made up of so much water. It's true. Maybe there hydrated. won't be a new technology. I mean, you I know, the wheel has certainly served mankind. I'm fire not going to claim that it's good. Yeah. What's that? The fire's fire, a long, fire long is runner. fire is working for us. Yeah. Yes. Water, I would agree that is working with us. It just it, sometimes while I'm in the shower taking my shower, I think of this. I may you end know? up being I'm, if, if if there is some new shower that comes out, I'm I might end up being a shower luddite because I, I think I like the old showers. Yeah. Well, I like the ones that actually dump some water on you instead of this you know this misting thing that seems to happen in the new showers. The the low flow showers. Oh dear, I'm not familiar. Yeah, you, you you need a pair of pliers to pull that little plastic thing out of there. Eight five five four fifty free is the SACL CAI toll free line. You can bring up what you want. One eight five five four five zero three seven three three. Still to come here tonight, Rick Santorum apparently wants to crack down on pornography. Is anyone surprised? This is Free Talk Live. Technology is created that upends the foundations of society. The wheel, the printing press, the internet. Now, in a world sliding into financial chaos, a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world. It is called Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a new form of money, controlled not by banks, governments, or corporations, but through mutual commerce between free individuals. To learn more, visit WeUseCoins.com. Live. The toll-free number here is 855-453. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 1-855-450-3733. Join us on our website over at freetalklive.com and enjoy the features. Oh, wait. No, you can't. The website's down. Wait, what? But in theory, uh, if the website were up, you could enjoy the features for free, which means no refunds because we're not charging you for it uh sometimes this stuff happens and boy is it frustrating when it does i apologize to anybody that's trying to get on the website at the moment our streams the uh high bandwidth streams are still online so if you are listening uh you still technically can be listening to this online you can still watch us on the webcam through our live stream channel and of course we're on the radio still so that's not a problem but uh, every now and then technology breaks and in this case it looks like the entire internet service provider uh the the hosting company that provides our website is completely offline like their own website is down so 
it wasn't us. <laughs> this can mean anything. It could be, uh, you know, like a, a piece of hardware that has just failed or something is going, something has gone wrong. That much you can be assured of. But at some point, it'll probably be back up and we'll let you know. 855-450-FREE in the meantime is the number here. Uh, allows you to take control of the airwaves and bring up absolutely anything that you want. In other news here uh, tonight, since we've been talking about schooling again, we had the young lady who wrote an essay at age 13 comparing schools to slavery. And then in other news, CNN reports that a a Minnesota middle school student with the backing of the ACLU is suing her school district over a search of her Facebook and email accounts by school employees. That's creepy, isn't it? Wow. The 12-year-old 6th grade student, identified in court documents only as R.S., was on two occasions punished for statements she made on her Facebook account and was also pressured to divulge her password to school officials, Hmm. according to the complaint. R.S. was intimidated, frightened, humiliated, and sobbing while she was detained in the small schoolroom as she watched a counselor, a deputy, and another school employee pour over her private communications. Wow, this is terrible. Where, where was, why wasn't her parent you know, informed and, and allowed to be there? Oh, goodness, she, the parent would object. Can't go and inform parents you're going to look through their little girl's uh, email account. Yeah, well, it's clearly, clearly children, these children have absolutely no rights whatsoever. No, they don't. And, and that's what I was told when I was in school. I remember the, the principal, because you know, I've had it in my head for a long time that freedom's actually important. Uh, you know, when, I, when they told me that there was freedom of speech, I believed them. Right. And, uh, and so I remember one time I was talking with the principal, he, he and I were on a first name basis, uh, <laughs> that uh, you know, he told me. There are there is no free speech. You have no rights in school. And for me that was a real defining moment. Like yeah, I kind of already figured that out, but to have somebody just throw it in your face and say, "Yeah, pff, you got no rights here." Just to say just to have them do that was a was a shock for me. Hmm. It was. So no, you're right. You don't have any rights. You're in just school. a ward of the state at that point. That's exactly Property. true. And that's how they're treating her here, as though, well, while you're under our care, we can get into your email account. And go ahead, we're going to get in your Facebook account, too, and we're going to read through everything that you've said about us. Because these school uh, bureaucrats get their panties in a wad big time whenever somebody creates some sort of a school-related post on Facebook. Have you ever seen these stories where, like, uh, the principal, somebody will create a page for the principal, and right. then uh, people will go and comment about how awful the principal is, or something like that. And the principal will freak out. That guy Buckley, and uh, you know they go and, and say whatever they want to say about him. Right, and the the principal will freak out and go off and do something crazy like this. So the lawsuit claims her First Amendment rights were violated by employees at Minnewaska Area Middle School in West Central Minnesota, as well as her Fourth Amendment rights regarding unreasonable search and seizure. The Minnewaska School District denies any wrongdoing. According to the district statement, quote, the district did not violate R.S.'s civil rights and disputes the one-sided version of the events as set forth in the complaint written by the ACLU. According to the complaint, R.S. felt that one of the school's adult hall monitors was picking on her, so she wrote on her Facebook wall that she hated that person because she was mean. Sounds like something a teenager would say. Mean. Reasonable. The message, and maybe this person is mean. I mean, I've, I've dealt with some grumpy school personnel before these these school aides they are not friendly they want to see your hall pass i mean these are they're hall monitors essentially glorified hall monitors and many of them are not the nicest folks the message was not posted from school property 
nor did she use any school equipment or school internet connections in order to make this uh, this post. Yeah, speaking to uh, you know people uh, uh, people in their their power, power does not intend um, usually imbue people with virtue. Power tends to corrupt them and not allow them to see their own actions as being, uh, you know, tyrannical or corrupt. Well, right. I mean, this little girl is out of line. She's insulting us. And so, therefore, we will do whatever it takes to punish her. Right. So, she, so but going is, into the, her private uh, emails, that's not, there's not a problem with that. So this is, that statement is one of the statements that got her punished? Is that what you're saying? That's what started this whole uh, situation, yeah. She, she wrote something on her Facebook wall about one of the school employees. Wow, and that gave him the uh, the permission needed to violate her privacy, and and uh, basically, what basically happened is this: this 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 young woman got a lesson in the ways of the state, so that the state was like, well, you're talking out against our cast of characters, if you will, and we don't much like that because, well, we all work together. The thin blue line it extends to. Uh, to school teachers in this 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 sense, but not most. Um, so we're going to teach you a lesson that you must respect the state. And yeah, if they you attack- don't, this is what happens. Right, and of course, uh, respect means begrudgingly uh, shut up. Yes, and, exactly. Right, you yeah, can't we, actually, you know, you can't actually force people to respect right. you. You can, however, force them to cower. Right. We, we, you won't be respecting us out of real respect, which is earned. Uh, you'll be respecting us because you'll be afraid of uh, what we're going to do to you. Like, read all your private emails. Uh, she somehow the school principal got a hold of a screenshot of the message and punished RS with detention. Made her apologize to the hall monitor. Says the complaint. She was in trouble again shortly thereafter for another Facebook post which asked who turned her in, using an expletive for effect, says the lawsuit. She was given in-school suspension and missed a a class ski trip as a result. In the third incident, according to the complaint, RS was called in by school officials. (laughs) Apparently this girl doesn't get it. (laughs) After, how dare she continue on uh, obstinately refusing to obey and non-cooperate with the, uh, the state. She sounds like a hero to me. Yeah. She was called in by school officials after the Guardian of another student uh, complained that R.S. had a conversation about sex on Facebook. The girl was called to a meeting. Teenagers would never do things like that. Dear Talk about sex. The girl was called to a meeting with a deputy sheriff because this is serious. We've got to have the police brought in to talk to a teenage girl about, well, she's 12, but almost teenage, uh, about sex. Or about her talking about sex. Is, is it just that, that part, or was it her saying bad things, you know, calling the principal mean and, uh, you know, using an expletive? And well, these are three separate it. incidents. It's not, it's not indicated here uh, what time period is between the incidents, okay. so that's, that's not clear. But the girl was called into a meeting with the deputy sheriff, school counselor, and unidentified school employee. It was there that she was intimidated into giving up her login and passwords to her Facebook and email accounts. R.S. was extremely nervous and being called out of class uh, regarding being called out of class and being interrogated. Uh, you know, it's hard to, to say no to these government people. They're scary. I'd, I'd like to submit that parents who send their children to public school are committing child abuse. I don't, I don't know. know. That's I mean, pretty harsh. Yeah, I, I, I think, think I know. I think that's 
that's kind of the line that but I'm. But they're take. scared too. I don't well, care if they're scared. And most they're of supposed the t- to be bigger and stronger than their children. Well, you're talking about uh, news is news because it's uncommon, and most students going to public school Have do a not deal time. with them. Well, I mean, yeah, I'll agree with you that largely it's terrible, but I don't think that private school is much better. I went to both, and I, I just think don't deceiving children and giving them a false impression of the reality around them and creating an illusion for them to live in and abide by is abusive. Well, I, you know, <laughs> I, I think mean, teaching them that society Abraham Lincoln was the greatest president ever and he did so much great things is lying to them. It's fraudulent. But they do it's that. Gonna, it, it's just one example of how the state manipulates the mindsets of individuals within their care at the schools and creates these these drones, these automatons that know only one side of this this manifested history, not the real history. But well, history is a set of agreed upon lies. I mean, you wouldn't know what history was if somebody didn't tell it to you. Somebody told it to you, and the person who told told you whatever fact it is that you are uh, harping on, or whatever it is, you know, may or may not be. I mean, it's all you're doing is taking okay, let's, things on authority. Another example: Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Okay, that's pretty mind abusive. control. Mind total mind control. control. Total but everything's mind control when it comes to education. Okay, no, no, no. Not <laughs> this is real brainwashing, brainwashing though. I mean, it is. chanting is brainwashing. I yes. agree. Repeating the same thing over and over again ad infinitum is brainwashing. Yep. Public schooling is child abuse. Well, I I, I sat down with some friends uh, Sunday after a Quaker meeting, and be you know this group prays the couple prays before the meal. So uh, or you know says nothing. We was fake Quaker. That's just a Quaker there. prayer. Yeah, Quaker prayer and. Uh, my son Jack was there, and he just closed his eyes and bowed his head like everybody else. There's more coming up here. Hour number two is next, 855-450-FREE. Never prayed his life. I am so excited about Pork Fest this year. Pork Fest? What's that? It's the Porcupine Freedom Festival, a fun and educational camping event put on every summer by the Free State Project. This year it's going to be happening June 18th to the 24th at Rogers Campground in Lancaster, New Hampshire. Okay, I like camping, and I definitely like freedom, but my budget is tight. Tickets are only $30 for the whole week if you get them before May 1st. Well, that sounds reasonable, but what goes on there? (laughs) What doesn't go on at Porkfest? There are speakers, family fun, dance parties, karaoke, a comedy roast, hiking, campfires, sports, a wedding, and all kinds of delicious food. But the part that I like best is spending time with other people who love freedom. Mm, That's sounding pretty good to me. Where can I go to learn more? Check out Porkfest.com and make sure you spell pork like a porcupine. P-O-R-C-F-E-S-T dot com. Like what you see? Looks like a blast. Okay, I'm in. See you at Porkfest. While you're there, check out how you can become a VIP, very important porcupine, for a modest donation. See you at Porkfest. Free Talk Live. We are launching into the second hour of the program. You can dial in toll-free and take control of the airwaves. 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Joining you here tonight, it's Ian. JJ. And Mark. And you can join us on our website when it's working, but it's not right now. Over at freetalklive.com. Does this happen to the other radio shows? I, well, you know, I don't know. It must, right? I, I don't I've, been, know. I've been on this show for about a year now, and... Um, this is the first time it's it's happened where the it's website's been rare. down. It's pretty rare. It's pretty rare. You know, Mark, I don't know. It's a good question. Obviously, I don't go to those other radio shows' websites often enough to find out if they go down. Uh, but there are web solutions that will allow you to 
uh, have like a backup, distributed, a backed up kind of hosting mirrored website, right, mirrored or where they're you know it's hosted from different points around the world. So if one goes out, the other, I just you know I find it hard to justify spending whatever the cost is going to be on that. It's going to be a lot more to uh, <laughs> you know to to save double. us the three hours per year or whatever that the the site goes down. The, it would be double, right? Probably would end up being something. It's like always double. during the show. It seems like. Doesn't it, though? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's just when we're going to find out about it. It's yeah, not likely yeah. you're going to know about it if it's 3 in the morning. So, uh, so you know, we'll, we'll see what we can do about that. <laughs> I'm always looking for better web solutions. So if you've got one, feel free to post it over on the Free Talk Live Facebook page. That's something that's still up. You can still go to the Free Talk Live Facebook page at facebook.freetalklive.com. And if the actual website's down long enough, I'll just forward everything to the Facebook page. Because I don't like it when things are down. It makes me uncomfortable. Let's go back to you and your phone calls. 855-453, the SACL CAI tool free line. Good thing we're still on the radio. Let's go to John, listening in North Minnesota to WNMT. John, you're on Free Talk Live. Yes, sir. Good evening. John, make sure you're Uh, talking right into your phone. You're a little muffled there. Okay. uh, I like like your show. Thank you, sir. But uh, have you ever heard of a book called Sanctuary of Silence? Sanctuary of Silence. I have not. By Peter Crenshaw, it's K R, wait K E R S H A W. And what is it about? It's about the 501c3, about when we get our license from uh, the government or anyone who issues the license. Along with the license comes a set of rules. Yes, like you mean for churches, for instance. For churches, any business that's a 501c3 has a whole lot of rules that go along with what you can do and what you can't do. It's true. And so by submitting to that uh, rules, uh, you know, by getting their license, their privilege, what they call it, is uh, submitting your freedom to them. Well, right. The idea that you have freedom in the first place is negated by the idea of a license in that if you tell the state that, oh, no, that's all right. I don't need your license to do business. I'll just go ahead and do my business. They'll come in and send men with guns to shut your business down. And then, as you're saying, when you go in to get the license, supposedly voluntarily, which, of course, it's not because you're doing it only because you're afraid in a lot of cases – uh, then you're right. They do attach all these strings to the license, and then they then they really own you, lock, stock, and barrel. Well, th- then you got then you're defeated before you start. Well, That's with true. That kind of attitude. Uh, but the thing is, uh, there's no law against having a church or an organization, a religious group or study group in your own home or or somewhere else. No, that's true. A church, there's no prohibition on creating your own church without a government permission slip, but there are certainly prohibitions on doing business. They certainly want you to uh, get this 501c3 status, and they make it it seem like starting your own church, you have to have this information. Well, what is it that is attractive to someone who is starting a church about the 501c3? Does it make it so people's donations are tax-deductible? The sanction. It's the sanction of the legitimate. That that might be, but but I know I know a couple places where they said, because I was warning them about, about this back in the 80s, and they said, we're going to get it anyway. We don't care what you say. And I said, well, you'll find out on your own then. And uh, mm. I asked them how they enjoyed it, and they said, we want to get rid of it. But we'd have to dis- uh, uh, you know, dismantle our whole organization. I said, well, then go for it. 
John, thanks for the call. The uh, the heads up. I think it's an important issue, and I thank you uh, for bringing it up here tonight at 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Once again, 855-450-3733. What is the motivation? Right, because a lot of cases these tax statuses, you know, grant some kind of perk. They grant some kind of uh, benefit. And when it comes to charities, I know that they want to have the C three, as I understand it. And, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they want to have the C three status so they can accept donations and they can give people receipts and people can uh, can get tax write offs. Because I know that whenever I give money to a local charity, like, do you want a receipt for the tax write? I'm like, I don't care about that. I don't do taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people, a lot of people, do care about it because they're trying to reduce their tax burden and so they want to uh, they want to be competitive i guess with other charitable organizations who also have these c3 statuses because they want to get people to give them money and they don't want to be able to say to somebody or they don't want to have to say to somebody who's a potential donor well we don't have our irs status so therefore you can't get a receipt you know you can't use this as a write-off i feel like that's a big motivation for a lot of charities i imagine churches are they similar i can't speak to that entirely i've done a little bit of research on on this and you know, I know that churches don't have to, as I have been told, the churches don't have to go through the the government to get paperwork to be, uh, you know, an organization. But I can't tell you what kind of benefits there are from them going through the government paperwork. I'm sure the government tries very hard to give them benefits so that they will go through the paperwork, uh, the, the carrot, as it were. But as I, you know, as I understand the, the the laws and the precedent in the United States is that you don't need such a thing. You can just start a church uh, on your own, right? But isn't the five hundred one c three like an exempted status, some sort of tax exemption? Sure. So would otherwise they believe they'd have to pay taxes without this? Does this somehow? Exempt I don't think them? you'd have to. The church itself. I, I don't think the church itself would have to pay taxes. I think that we're talking about two different benefits here as to whether or not the church would have to pay taxes. Which I'm sure that no. The you know my my understanding is that no church, whether it is uh, you know registered and and has all the the government paperwork or not, would have to pay taxes. However, um, it's it probably makes some things easier when you're telling your town or your city or whatever. Hey, we're a church and we don't have to pay on this uh, building that we owe here. Uh, it's probably a lot easier just whip out your government paperwork than it is to try to uh, claim to be a religious organization without it. But um, the other uh, aspect is people donating to you. And, you know, what's that, you know, what's that cost? There's uh, just looking at it real quick here online. According to hushmoney.org, they believe that this, uh, let's see, most most churches in America have organized as 501c3 tax-exempt religious organizations, a fairly recent trend that's been going on for about 50 years. Churches were only added to 501c3 of the tax code in 1954. They believe that Lyndon B. Johnson was a, was no ally of the church and that he had it in mind to silence them and eliminate the significant influence the church had on shaping public policy. They suggest here that uh, 501c acceptance has 501c3 acceptance has had devastating effects, which results in the churches being unable to speak openly about uh, their personal beliefs about things like abortion and homosexuality and all of that, because then it will jeopardize its tax exempt status. Uh, it has a chilling effect on free speech rights of the church, and according to this, churches prior to 1954 were not taxable, and that churches have never been taxable. To be taxable, a church would first need to be under the jurisdiction and therefore under the taxing authority of the judgment or the uh, the government and the First Amendment, they say, places the church outside of that jurisdiction. So they're claiming that churches were never taxable in the first place. Yep, that, that, that would claim the same.
So I, I still don't understand why it is tempting for a church to do these things. I'm guessing well, it's for the donation receipts. It might be the donation receipts. I think that that's uh, I think that's probably huge. Um, you know, maybe foundations and things like that can be set up uh, more easily. And people want the legitimacy that is granted by the government. I mean, try to imagine for a second uh, trying to convince a prospective mate that your marriage is going to be as legitimate and uh, good as a government marriage if you don't go and get that piece of paper that says marriage certificate. And you're saying people will have the same feeling about their church? No, like who I'm checks saying on that, that before they join a church. Are you guys 501c3? I'm saying that the church fathers, the founders of it, say that. Most churches, according to uh, spofga.org, says that churches are automatically exempt from taxation. There must be 501c3 must they be 501c3 for members, tithes, donation, gifts to be tax deductible? According to Owens and IRS regulations, the answer to that is no. Hmm. So that's not the reason for it. Maybe it's what you're saying, Mark. It's just some sort of legitimacy aspect. Which is bizarre and twisted and completely anti-Christian. Do you have a product or service that you can sell to a national audience? Free Talk Live is a nationally syndicated radio program on more than 100 radio stations coast to coast. We've been named to Talkers Magazine's Heavy 100 list. That's the 100 most important radio talk shows in the nation thrice. And five times the best political podcast from podcastawards.com. You can have access to our more than 100 radio stations and our large and loyal podcast audience for less than $1,000 a month. Contact me, Mark, at freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever you want. Toll free at 855-453. You can join us on our website when it's online, which is not right now, at freetalklive.com. But hopefully it'll be back up by the end of the show. We'll let you know. I, I thought it's up. Uh, not the last time I looked. You're I just back? looked. I looked, uh, you know, a few minutes ago. Okay, it was up. great. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I, I checked during the break, and it was not up. So, well, then you check your cash or something because yeah. I've got it. Yeah, you're right. It's back. Good job, Mark. Boom. You did it. Mark fixed it. Congratulations. Can people doubting me? All right. So now you can go back to freetalklive.com and enjoy the website there. It's completely free. And uh, the bulletin board system is one of the many features that allows you to interact with other Free Talk Live listeners over at bbs.freetalklive.com. You'll also get show notes of uh, the stuff we're talking about on the air. We post that later on after the show over at uh, bbs.freetalklive.com, bbs.freetalklive.com. Whether you're looking for camping, hunting, survival, or maybe shooting gear, if you're an outdoors enthusiast of some sort or another, manventureoutpost.com is a great place for you to go and check out. They've got some of the best rates uh, that you'll be able to find on all kinds of name brand gear for all the things that you might need, whether it's knives, ammunition, scopes, binoculars, laser, sti- laser sights, tactical flashlights, you know, fish finders, boating equipment, all kinds of things that the outdoor enthusiast might want. They've got it. I mean, it's an expansive website. It would take a long time to go through everything they've got there. ManVentureOutpost.com, they're family-owned and members in good standing of the Better Business Bureau. You can, uh, you won't find, you, you'll likely not find prices uh, as low as ManVentureOutpost.com. Before you buy, you should go there. You can get an additional 5% off with coupon code FTL. That's FTL is in Free Talk Live at ManVentureOutpost.com. Get it quick. Get it from ManVentureOutpost.com. Coupon code FTL. All right, so uh, we continue here. We'll take your calls about what you want. We've got... Hassan, listening in New York. You're on Free Talk Live, Hassan. Hello. 
What's um, on your mind? Yeah, I basically wanted, I was basically wondering about like an, an earlier episode of Free Talk Live. You talked about um, su- like how you supported car insurance, but I just wonder how can you possibly support it in its current form because it's insanely overpriced. Like for example, Is it? I only pay York, like a hundred and twenty like, something bucks or whatever for six months. That doesn't seem that doesn't seem too expensive. Hampshire, but in here in New York, it's about nine hundred dollars for six months. Wow! Yeah, so like a in, pack like, of, yeah, a pack of cigarettes in New York is what twelve, fifteen dollars. <laughs> yeah, I mean everything I'd, is expensive in New York. Right, it's the Empire State. Uh, so what I'd suggest is you leave New yeah, York. It's only like twenty five thousand dollars coverage. It's not much. Yeah, that is that's crazy. Uh, you're right. That's awful. No, I don't support. What I don't support is the insurance companies teaming up with the government to mandate that people get their coverage. And of course, in most places, that's how it works. They force you to buy insurance. I don't support that. Uh, but it, I, I support the concept of auto insurance. I mean, I, you you know, you protect yourself for tragic accidents. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? If the price were right, would you support it? Yeah, but I see it being a better deal to probably just put it in like a bank account or something like that every six months. Well, yeah, and if it's if you're spending nine hundred dollars every month. six months, then you're you're correct. At that point, you can replace the. You know, if you have a minor accident, you can replace the cost of a car pretty quickly like that. But that's still not going to cover hospital bills. And, and it's probably mandatory there in New York, isn't it? Of course, I think New New Hampshire yeah, is the only mandatory, place. Like, right? That's see, that's what happens when the government makes something mandatory. There's the the marketplace doesn't have the same incentives to keep the prices low to entice new customers to come into their folds. Instead, they know they have a captive market of customers. So now mm-hmm. it's just a matter of of jumbling the prices down low enough so that the competitors seem to be about the same or a little less or a little more. It doesn't matter. It's a cartel, basically. Exactly. It manipulates the marketplace. Exactly. So here in New Hampshire, we don't have mandatory insurance. Thus, the uh, premiums are extremely low and affordable. According to carinsurance.com, New Hampshire is the only state that does not have compulsory auto insurance liability laws. So... If you want to, you know, if you want to have better better price on uh, your insurance, probably moving out of New York would be a good choice. Maybe looking at New Hampshire as an option. Of course, there is another question I should ask: Is have you had a lot of car accidents? Um, no. I like my father owns the car. And I think the last accident he had it wasn't even his fault, and that was about fifteen years ago. And what about you? I mean, have you had some accidents as well? You're how old are you, by the way? Um. I'm 22. Like, I rarely drive, so... Now, they say no that uh, when you turn 25, you get better insurance yeah. rates. But it's still, you're paying way too... I mean, $900 for six months. I've never heard of that before. Even when I was under 25, it wasn't like that for me. I can, I can imagine that if you had a bad driving record or you've gotten into some accidents, that they're going to raise your rates as a result of that. Also, if you're not insured, the the uh, auto insurance companies have this thing where if you're if you don't have insurance for the six months prior to uh, the time you're applying, you will uh, you will have a higher rate for your insurance payment because of that. You're basically paying into the system for the uninsured people, is is what it is. So it'd be interesting to look and see at what states, you know, like get a chart of all the states and the average insurance cost just to see, is New York number one? I mean, with rates like $900 for six months, it's got to be at the top of the charts. And that seems absolutely unbelievable to me. 
But then again, I've never lived in New York, so I'm not I'm not accustomed to it. The people in New York are so used to being beaten down with taxes and regulations that uh, this probably seems normal to a lot of them. They probably don't even know what they're missing. Hassan, any other thoughts you want to share tonight? Um, no, that's pretty much it. Right. Thanks for the call, man. Appreciate hearing from you. Good luck getting out of there. 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line as we go to Jeff listening in Michigan. Jeff, where are you at in Michigan? I'm, I'm near South Haven. I'm about a mile from the Palisades nuclear plant. Oh, okay, so are you listening uh, to uh, WSJM? Yes, I believe it is. Excellent, sir. Go ahead with your thoughts. Uh, this uh, May 20th uh, NATO summit they're going to hold at McCormick Place in Chicago. I uh, hear the protesters have uh, called for uh, international observers to, to uh, you know, invited them so that, uh, I guess, under the premise that they feel that uh, as long as they have somebody you know, the world is watching, maybe their civil rights or that won't be violated. Uh, oh, that won't stop them. Resident, yeah, well, you know, living in Illinois for a long time, I can tell you if you get arrested, I've actually been told to my face that I have no rights. Oh, I and, believe it. And the officers that would uh, say that, I mean, this would be in a full squad room full of people. Nobody would ever correct the people. No. These protesters are, are probably going to be in for a, you know, really rough time. They're, uh, Illinois is really really not a good place to you know to no chicago's got the second largest police force in the nation and uh they're, and they're known the, for being corrupt yeah and the camera ban laws are just horrendous Though i think they've was... been backed up on that very, you know the 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 courts have uh backed the police uh not not back them but they ruled uh, the camera ban unconstitutional that back um but that doesn't mean that that's going to stop the cops oh, from no, misbehaving. No. That doesn't mean they're not going to arrest people anyway. Uh, we've seen, you know, we, we, we've seen cops pen up women and spray them with uh, OC pepper spray. So yeah, they'll, they'll just because they can. Yeah, they'll they'll do whatever they want and they'll get away with it. And too. Jeff, you're uh, unfortunately, I, th- I think you're wrong that uh, the international attention is going to change anything about it. Uh, there's usually a lot of people that pay attention to things like the G20 protests and other, you know, the DNC and RNC protests. Those are usually well watched on the internet. And, and around the world to some extent. Uh, so, yeah, the cops are going to do whatever they want because they're completely unaccountable for their actions. Thank you for the call tonight. I appreciate hearing from you, though. 855-453, the toll-free number. Plenty of time for you and your thoughts. You can bring up anything. 855-453, Free Talk Live. On Free Talk Live, we talk about investing in gold and silver as a hedge against inflation, investment, and barter currency. We've teamed up with Midas Resources to offer you some great rates on some hand-picked gold and silver pieces. U.S. Eagles, British Sovereigns, 20 Francs, Lakota Nation Silver Rounds, Montana Silver Reserves, and Walking Liberty Halves. Call 877-857-9938 or go to gold.freetalklive.com. The shipping is the same for one as it is for 20, so try to get as many as you can all at once. Gold.freetalklive.com. Talk live. You can dial in toll free. Bring up whatever you want. 855 450 free. It's the SACL CAI toll free line. Join us on our website over at freetalklive.com. And apparently it's back online, so that's a good thing. You can over there and enjoy the features that are awaiting you, including the Shrine of Female listeners with dozens of ladies who've taken the time to send in their validated photo to show that they are listeners of this program. Uh, go and see them. And if you're a lady listener, you can be part of the Shrine. The details are there 
at shrine.freetalklive.com. That's shrine.freetalklive.com. You know, uh, you know, sometimes the power just goes out randomly. Sometimes it has to do with, uh, you know, say a thunderstorm or something like that. Sometimes it's a natural disaster and the power can stay out for weeks and if that happens, it's going to cost you. I mean, everything you've got in your freezer, you know, things you have in your refrigerator, those things are going to go out. Obviously, life without electric, electrical, uh, you know, electricity, it's not fun. Sound Wisdom's solar power generating system can take uh, the basics in your house off the grid. So not only are you buying, uh, you know, a, a backup generator that will handle the, you know, the necessities, say a, a well pump and a freezer and Maybe maybe a refrigerator, depending on uh, you know how you get the setup, because I can make customized setups for you. Um, you know, it'll take the the basics off the off the grid for you completely, so you never have to worry about them. Uh, you know, being off the grid, and unlike uh, gener- other generators, you know, it's paying for itself all the time because you know you're not paying the electrical to pay, you know on the on those items. The sun's uh, you know giving you supplying you with free power go to freetalklivesolar.com they've got experts standing by to answer all your questions go there get the telephone number and uh, you can call them up it's a a great system especially for sunny areas it's freetalklivesolar.com so I was just looking here uh, during the break to take, take a look at the auto insurance rates and compare state by state. Where is the highest? Because we just heard from a guy who said he was paying 900 bucks a year for a very low amount of coverage. He said $25,000 worth of coverage uh, on his, his vehicle in uh, New York, and that, that sounded really high to me. But according to various different websites, it, it apparently varies quite a bit from year to year. There's one site uh, published in... Like 2007, which says that uh, it's New Jersey that is the highest. And then there's another one published this year that says Louisiana is the highest. And Jersey is at number 15 on that list. So uh, in and if, as far as the list from 2012, this is from insure.com. Uh, New York is about halfway down the list at number 23. You know, uh, when I moved up to New Hampshire, and it's been six years. New going, Hampshire number 43, by the way, on this list. Uh, it's been about six years uh, since I moved up. One of the things that I was struck by was how cheap auto insurance is here compared to where I had moved from in the, uh, the southern Tampa Bay area. Florida's number 13 on this list. As uh, to the highest, thirteen highest, and I don't know, you know, what the uh, insurance companies base their rates on, but I'm certain that the fact that in New Hampshire that it's not, uh, you know, that it's not mandated that you have car insurance probably figures into that at least to it has some to. has to to some extent. Um, so you know, I mean, that was one of the things that I was stunned by as far as uh, you know costs. If you're guaranteed customers by state law. You don't have to charge as you know the the bare bare minimum. Well, you're not guaranteed the customers. Somebody's still competing for those customers. But yeah, uh, but if you're within a cartel are, that's government approved, and you know that you only have two competitors, that's less so when it comes to uh, auto insurance. More so in say health insurance, that kind of thing. I think that's true. In fact, I'd even heard that uh, there's somebody that called a local radio station here in town saying that in the ni- early 1990s there were 23 health insurance providers in New Hampshire, and now there are three. Yeah. Wow. Sounds so, about right. So the more the regulation occurs, the more controlled the market becomes, the the fewer options there are, the fewer choices there are, therefore the more the higher prices can be charged because they can become more cartelized, it's less likely someone's going to break the cartel. 
Yep. Um, you know, I, I think that in most states, all you have to do is have a certain minimum amount of insurance that basically covers the other person's hospital injuries and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, and I was in uh, Wisconsin. Well, it, it was one of the, the uh, last couple states to not require car insurance, and the rates were much lower than this gentleman described, this caller. Did they change that recently? I think they, yeah. Well, it's now the New Hampshire's the only one left, but they changed that after I had, or well, just about the period I had left, which was 2007, 2008. So uh, they they are definitely um, on that train and socialized medicine as well. So, your thoughts are welcome here at eight five five four fifty free. That is the SACL CAI toll free line. Uh, so, in other news, JJ, I know you wanted to tell us a story about a police officer who tried to do the right thing. That's and right. Uh, we've seen stories from time to time of police officers tried to do the right thing, and well, it sadly, doesn't usually work out too well for them. What happened in this case? Yeah, this this story comes from VillageVoice.com. The NYPD tapes inside Bed Stuy's 81st precinct. So I'm gonna. I'm, there is some quotes here that I'm gonna have to butcher because of the uh, radio, but I'm gonna get you the story because these are explicit tapes. That's right. Yeah, it's uh, you know the, some rough language. Yes. Two years ago, a police officer in Brooklyn precinct became gravely concerned about how the public was being tr- served. To document his concerns, he began carrying around a digital sound recorder, secretly recording his colleagues and superiors. He recorded precinct roll calls. He recorded his precinct commander and other supervisors. He recorded street encounters. He recorded small talk and station house banter. In all, he surreptitiously recorded hundreds of hours of cops talking about their jobs. Made without the knowledge or approval of the NYPD. Oh, man. The tapes. This guy, is he still alive? (laughs) Yes, he is. Amazing. Tapes made between June 1st, 2008 and October 31st, 2009 in the 81st Precinct in Bedford, Stuyvesant. Yeah, Bed-Stuy. Yeah, Bed-Stuy. And obtained exclusively by The Voice. Provided an unprecedented portrait of what it's like to be a a cop in the city. Hmm. They reveal that the precinct precinct bosses threaten to street cops if they don't make their quotas of arrest. <laughs> so, if you ever wanted to be the uh, the butterfly on the wall of the police, uh, rest, you know, the, the, the police break room, this actually it, it actually happened. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they Butterflies reveal- on the wall would probably be more noticeable than yeah. say other types of insects, like slugs, or <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> cockroach. They anyway. reveal that precinct bosses threaten street cops if they don't make their quotas of arrests and stop and frisks. So these, hold on, these, uh, oh, wow. so these quotas that we're told do not exist. That's right. Um, there's audio of this happening in the NYPD. Shocking. Claiming yes. that, uh, that there are quotas. Not only that they do, they do exist, uh, but that the police are threatened if they don't make them. Right. They're all scared, man. They also tell them not to take certain robbery reports in order to manipulate crime statistics. The tapes also refer to, to command wow. officers telling crime victims... Remember that New York has been cleaning up its image. I'm using quotation marks here. Um, and so therefore they wouldn't want violent crime like robbery to be reported. Exactly. The tapes also refer to command officers telling crime victims directly to intimidate them about their complaints. Telling them? Oh, calling, calling crime calling. victims. So the, the commanders would call these people and then intimidate them about the complaints they, the complaints they filed against police officers. Mm. As a result, the tapes show the rank-and-file NYPD street cop experiences enormous pressure in a strange catch-22. He or she is expected to maintain high activity, including stop-and-frisks, but paradoxically to record fewer actual crimes. 
This pressure was accompanied by paranoia from the precinct commander to the lieutenants to the sergeants to the line officers. Stop and frisk, by the way, uh, for those that don't know the term, is where the police will just stop you on the, on the street and frisk you without any kind of suspicion or anything like that. And as they're saying here, they've got quotas for them. Boys, you better go out today and get me 20 stop and frisks or whatever the amounts are. So if they don't want crime, then what do they report the stop and frisk as? Nonviolent crime? They're not crime reports. A stop and frisk is just a stop and frisk. It's just an intimidation technique. But if they catch you and uh, frisk you and you find something. Well, most of it's going to be finding something. It won't be a violent crime. Right. It's going to be a possession of so narcotics. They exactly. So they're incentivized to not have a violent crime. Or I, think, crime. I think they recorded the robberies differently than a robbery. So, like, they would say uh, disorderly conduct instead of robbery. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but there's much more to this story. Yeah, I want to hear more. Here are moments. 855-450-FREE. This, I'm sure this is the tip of the iceberg. 1-855-450-3733. Plenty of time for your thoughts, your calls. You can take control of the airwaves. And maybe you've been on the inside of the New York police force and you want to talk about this. If you haven't been intimidated into silence, that is. It's Free Talk Live. You can listen to Free Talk Live on the radio via podcast, the webcam, and our live streams at freetalklive.com. Not enough options? Now you can listen to Free Talk Live from any phone, anywhere. Add this number to your phone, 760-569-7752. It's a long-distance call, so make sure you're familiar with your phone's calling plan. The Free Talk Live listen lines are airing the latest episode of Free Talk Live 24 hours a day, including our live shows. Call 760-569-7752. That's 760-569-7752. Live. 855-453 is the toll-free number, and you can bring up anything you want. The toll-free uh, number again, 855-450-3733. Joining you in the studio tonight, it's Ian. JJ. And Mark. JJ is wearing his uh, snazzy Got Liberty, uh, what do they call those things again? Skull, skull caps? Yeah. Sock hat. Yeah, they're pretty sharp. They I, were available at the Liberty Forum this that's year. That's right. I saw uh, Chris Lawless wearing one the first day, and I was like, well, i got to do that, too. Yeah, they're pretty cool. I've been wearing mine around when it's been cold enough, and recently here, it has not been cold at all in New Hampshire. It's been pretty warm out, which has been nice. I don't know if those are going to be limited edition or if they're going to be available at Porkfest, which is coming up here in three months, although it probably won't be because it's the summertime, although it still kind of gets chilly at night at Porkfest. Sure it does. Um, so anyway, bring a jacket. Porkfest, that's true. If you don't, there it's will be pants. Free Talk Live uh, sweaters for sale or hoodies at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. Porkfest.com, P-O-R-C-F-E-S-T.com. So what happens when a cop brings a digital audio recorder to work every single day and records hours and hours and hours of his interactions with his coworkers? Well, you get a real look into the world of what it's like to be a police officer in New York City, of all places. That's right. This officer, a uh, former officer named Adrian Schoolcraft. <laughs> I can't imagine he's still <laughs> yeah. working there. Clearly he's, I think he's, uh, uh, I don't, I think the story I'll get into is current situation, but uh, <laughs> we've got more to read. Incarcerated, yeah. dead, hospitalized. <laughs> the pressure was accompanied by paranoia from the precinct commander to the lieutenants to the sergeants to the line officers of violating any of the seemingly endless bureaucratic rules and regulations that would bring in outside supervision. Of course, they don't want that sort of transparency here at the New York Police Department. 
The tapes also reveal the locker room environment at the precinct. Mm-hmm. On a recording made in September, the subject being discussed at roll call is station house graffiti done by the cops themselves <laughs> and something called uh, marking a memo book, a practical joke in which officers draw uh, phallic symbols on each other's daily notebooks. There's That's- not any homosexual undercurrents there or anything like that. Not that there's anything wrong with being gay. It's just that a lot of these co- police officers are, you know, they're the real I'm a butch tough guy kind of act. And uh, there's yet kind of this locker room attitude as they're describing it here where there sure is a whole lot of references to penises for some guys that aren't claim that, you know, they claim they're not gay. Right. Right. And then. They react uh, very hostily if you do If you them suggest of them of being homosexually right. inclined, sure. Here's, here's, a, here's a quote from a, a, a sergeant here. As far as defacing of department property, all right, the crap on the side of the building and on people's lockers and drawing uh, stuff on people's notebooks and whatever else is going on, just knock it off, all right? A sergeant can be heard saying, if the wrong person sees this stuff coming in here, then the IAB is going to be all over this place, all right? You want to draw? I'm guessing this stands for Internal Affairs Bureau, IAB. Yeah, yeah. So that the whole the whole thing is is that they know what's going on, and they don't obviously their, their concern isn't that this is improper behavior. It's that they'll get caught. Exactly. Right. He then adds that just before it, I cannot imagine for one hot second working at a place where people draw uh, male genitalia on the paperwork. Yes. I mean, <laughs> my God, what, what kind of rubes are we dealing You're with dealing here? You're dealing with thugs. You're dealing with uh, brutish men who have no actual uh, <laughs> sophistication or, or civility of any kind. They're brutish thugs, and they deal with the very primal essence of life, violence I have worked, and sex. I have worked at a variety of different places, from from dishwasher at a restaurant, mm-hmm. roofer, uh, you know, a, a, a convenience store operator, on up to you know the highest level lifestyle magazine in Sarasota, Florida, and uh, you know w- winner of uh, all kinds of Charlie awards, and and of course now I've got my own radio show. In none of these places would I have ever dreamed. I mean, I I my my jaw my my jaw would have dropped agog if I would have seen somebody drawn some kind of pubic hair covered <laughs> male. Phallus now, on a piece of paperwork. JJ, you were in. Uh, you played football in high school, That's did right. you not? Yep. Now, what was your locker room environment like compared to this? Uh, honestly, it was it was much more. It was very simple. Okay, we 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 danced. We won it. The, the football team won every game, and I don't want to credit myself for that mm-hmm. because I just I wasn't a starter or anything like that. But I I was along for the ride. Basically, it was a lot of fun, and so like every time after the game, it was a party. It was. No, 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 drinking or anything. It was just sort of like where, you know, you, you get changed out of your clothes and there's music and, and it was just dancing. We shaved our heads uh, like the first game of the season or But something. no drawing phalluses on there lockers or anything like, like that? nothing like that. No? No. Okay. There, I mean, and, and there wasn't even a lot of joking about uh, hmm. sexuality at all. It just seemed like... So, like, these guys are more immature than the average high school football team. It, than my high school football team, yes. I was in prison where the, uh, you know, the homosexuality sort of the games are, are rampant. 
And I worked at the uh, the inmate can well actually I worked the staff canteen but with closely with the inmate canteen we had paperwork go all day every day and I would have never I, I you could ah, I would have I would have sat people down and there would have been a screaming match if this would have uh, occurred now I wasn't these people's direct boss or mm-hmm. anything like that but I certainly had some sway within the uh, the, the the political hierarchy in the uh, the canteen and it would have I, I mean if you gave beavis and there would have been gnashing of teeth if uh, if this would have occurred in right. prison right well yeah. and and there's more to it this this officer that's reprimanding them for for drawing all this stuff he, he's in ads that just before an inspection a supervisor had to walk around the station house and paint over all the graffiti <laughs> so they had a supervisor painting over the graffiti so that the inspection wouldn't have any sort of red flags. I can't say there was no graffiti uh, in, at the prison I was at, but it really wasn't that big of a of a deal. I mean, you know, generally inmates understood that they had to live in the environment in which, uh, you know, that they, they, they would graffiti eyes. I mean, certainly there were places where this would go on. I, I think it's interesting. It's the first time I've ever heard. I mean, I've heard about a lot of police doing various different things, but I've never heard of police doing graffiti before. That's that's new to me. It's just yeah. juvenile. Yeah. The, the uh, story goes on. The Voice is releasing portions of the tapes and batches on our website, villagevoice.com, and is also publishing several stories to deal with the issues that the recordings present. In this week's installment, we look at the roll calls on bed Precinct and the conflicting... Wow, they're doing this in installments. Interesting. Yeah. And the conflicting instructions given to street cops who must look busy at all times while actually suppressing crime reports. And then they, uh, in Perrin, they have rep- repeated attempts to get an official response from the police department have been met by silence. <laughs> of course. <laughs> they have no obligation to talk about this. Right. The village, uh, the voice obtained the digital audio recordings from police officer Adrian Schoolcraft, an eight-year veteran of the NYPD. The voice has identified the NYPD boss as speaking at roll calls, but is using their initials different from their names for most of them. Schoolcraft first made headlines in February when Daily News reported that he was speaking out about manipulation of crime reports of the 81st. His complaints, the Daily News wrote, had sparked an investigation that had put even the precinct's commander, Deputy Inspector Stephen Mariello, under suspicion. As it should, because as, as from what we've heard from policemen, People that have uh, left the force have called the show and talked about their experience. They say the corruption rises to the top. I mean, you don't you don't get it. These these edicts are coming down from somewhere. About we've got to we've got to brush these statistics under the rug. We've got to get this stuff cleaned up. We've got to make this look like this and over here, and we've got to change the. You know, we've got to get these quotas filled. I mean, these are coming from somewhere. Quotas and statistics and all these mandates they're coming from somewhere. So I, they should go up the chain. Yep. Those stories, however, gave no indication that Schoolcraft was also in possession of the remarkable audio tapes. Schoolcraft tells The Voice he carried the audio recorder initially to protect himself from the civilian complaints that can result from street encounters. Hmm. But then yeah, I, I think that this is uh, when you when you think about it, I mean, this would be a really great idea for cops to have audio and video of every encounter they have. I mean, you know, there's there's all kinds of reasons why they would be protected. But strangely, they don't want to have that. And maybe this gives us some picture as to why. Mm-hmm. But I mean, don't you think as a uh, you know a citizen, uh, a person who supports these policing organizations, that you would be better served if these police officers were video and audio recording themselves at all times? 
Sure, I think so. But then again, as we've seen, even those that do have the audio and video, uh, all of a sudden, conveniently, the audio and video doesn't work whenever it's an important case for your side. I think it, it always be works a- when they've got when they want to get evidence against you for something. But when you're trying to defend yourself or protect yourself, all of a sudden, you can't get anything from them. I think that it's uh, I think it's it should be very important inside of a case. But I mean, you know, here you're relying on, uh, you know, pr- frankly, if audio and video should be available and a prosecutor sees that it's not there. They should drop the case. A jury should say, really? You don't have any audio and video of this? I mean, what year are we living in? You can get you can go get a, a Chinese watch fob, or excuse me, a keychain fob that'll audio and video record for five bucks on the interwebs. It'll last very long. Indeed, you can. But I mean, you can get several of them. You can make better ones for a hundred and build them into badges, and these guys would have them at all times. Toll-free number here, 855-453. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Maybe you should run for Sheriff, Mark, on that platform. There you go. 1-855-453. Hour number three is next. You can take control of the airwaves here. Bring up what you want. There's more to this story. Oh, yeah, there's lots more. All right, so we're going to get to some of that here as well and take your calls next. It's Free Talk Live. Why did you move to the Shire? I moved here to the Shire because there's other people around who take liberty just as seriously as I do. I moved to the Shire because I saw videos of people challenging authority and thought that I could get support myself. It called to me, like, do this right now. I wanted to be around people like me who got it. And once I got here, I knew there was nowhere else that I wanted to be. Immigrating to the Shire was easy. I was instantly plugged into a community of individuals who also care about peace, liberty, and justice and are willing to do something about it. The people here are awesome, loving, and positive. It was for the adventure and for the feeling of something important is happening here. And I just wanted to come to sort of be part of that. Visit ShireSociety.com to read and sign the Shire Society Declaration and learn the reasons why, if you love liberty, you should immigrate to the Shire. Plus, add yourself to the Shire map at ShireSociety.com. That's ShireSociety.com. All you have to do, dial in toll-free, 855-453. That's the SACL-CAI toll-free line, 1-855-450-3733. And you can join us on our website over at freetalklive.com. We give you the features on the site completely free, so enjoy those. Unlike those other talk show hosts who want to charge you for accessing their websites, we do it free. Freetalklive.com. Here with you tonight, it's Ian. JJ. And Mark. And by the way, want to welcome our brand newest affiliate. And this is a biggie. Probably about as big as you can get, actually. Uh, New York City's WWRL 1600, New York's Progressive Talk. Sweet. Free Talk Live's on in New York City. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a long time coming, and uh, I'm glad to be on board. It's it, We're starting small on early, early Sunday morning, so we're, we're recording this show on, on Thursday nights. Uh, so you listeners in New York City will be getting, it's, it's a little on the old side, but down the line, I think you'll find out that Free Talk Live is different from those standard talk shows that you're used to hearing in that we talk more about issues and ideas on this show. So even though it's Thursday that we're recording this, you're not uh, – or we're broadcasting this on Thursday originally. It's not going to be stale because we're talking about things that matter whether it's Thursday or Friday or Sunday or two weeks from now. We're talking about police corruption. And actually, uh, we're talking about 
police corruption in New York City. There's uh, just a, a incredible story. And what's the source on this again, JJ? This is Adrian Schoolcraft. Uh, he published the, the these news, at the the Village Voice. The Village Voice. Uh, also, I guess New York Daily News. I think had, uh, yeah. had published something about this as well. So, if you're in uh, NYC, you probably are well aware of this story already. If you've been paying attention, of course, I don't know how well covered this is. A lot of times, the mainstream media shoves this sort of stuff under the rug. So, turns out what happened is the schoolcraft guy works for the 81st Precinct. That's right. Uh, he brought a, an audio recording device around with him everywhere, originally intending to just simply use it when he was dealing with members of the public to protect right. himself and collect evidence. But he ended up deciding to use it against the department uh, and uh, try to hold them accountable for some of the shenanigans that are going on there. And I, when I talk, when I say shenanigans, I mean it. I mean we're talking about graffiti within the department, uh, people drawing phalluses on other people's paperwork and other places. You've got uh, higher ups instructing officers to brush uh, certain types of crime, violent crime, under the rug. Uh, so, for instance, if there was uh, what was the incident robbery, they, rob, like a robbery, they'd have to write it up as something else that was less serious, uh, just to just to skew the crime statistics, right? I mean, and, this is uh, the tip of the iceberg, too. That's right. So he basically, uh, if we're getting back into it, yeah, now, let's do that. Uh, he, he basically, he, like like we said, he was originally recording this for civ- civilian complaints, but then he began to document things to, happening because in, civilians were, you know, perhaps would might complain about what he's doing, and he wanted to protect himself. Sure, exactly. Uh, but then he began to document things happening in the precinct that bothered him. After he ran a follow precinct politics. He recorded what he viewed as retaliation by his bosses, something that we are familiar with with uh, Bradley Jardis and his situation. Right. Our friend, who's a former cop, uh, was attacked by his own department because he dared to break the thin blue line and come out against the war on drugs. So I'm going to I'm going to shift gears. And th- this story was uh, on the, the village dot com. I'm going to shift gears to get you uh, up to date with uh, the whole situation. And, and the story is on Gawker dot com. And uh, it's the continuation of this whole saga. NYPD officers sent to psych ward by superiors after oh, recording corruption. You must be crazy if you would go against the system and break the thin blue line. You have to be crazy. Graham Raham at The Village Voice brings us more on Officer Adrian Schoolcraft, the modern-day Serpico, who was sent to a psych ward for reporting on corruption in the NYPD. While working out of the 81st Precinct in Brooklyn, Schoolcraft became aware of a pattern of crime victims getting caught up in bureaucratic hurdles that seemed to have purposefully been set up to make it hard to report serious crimes. Schoolcraft reported a number of these incidents to investigators. That's where things take a turn for the insane. In October 2009, Schoolcraft met with NYPD investigators for three hours and detailed more than a dozen cases of crime reports being manipulated by in a district. Three weeks after the meeting, which was supposed to have been kept secret from Schoolcraft's superiors, his precinct commander and deputy chief ordered Schoolcraft to be dragged from his apartment and forced into the Jamaican hospital well, okay, psychiatric so hold on. ward so, for six so days. So he went to the, uh, what they, the IB or whatever, the Internal Bureau of IBA, I think, Internal Affairs Bureau or something like that. He went to the group of police that's supposed to investigate the police. That's right. Expecting that this was going to be kept on the down low. Like, hey, I've got all this information on all this corruption, and you guys, that's your job. It's right. your job to investigate They're this looking stuff. forward to doing their jobs because that's what people, good people should do, right? Well, right. 
right? And their job is to keep these other bureaucrats accountable. That's why they're a separate separate bureaucracy, and they're over here, and it's their job. And he expected that they were going to maintain silence about who he was and take this information in and do a a proper investigation. But no, somebody leaks the information to the uh, superiors, and they drag him out of his house. Now, I I don't know anything about the New York uh, Police Department, but I can speak to the uh, law enforcement agency uh, that I worked within uh, for a period of time. I was uh, the staff canteen operator at a prison, and I can tell you that the the investigator who was supposed to investigate these uh, these officers was a former lieutenant. He had previously worked with them, and then he you know took this other job, which seemed relatively cushy, yeah. and he quote unquote investigated all these crimes. He hung out with these people. He dated those women. You know, I mean, those. You know, I, c- come on, really. <laughs> I, I lived with them, partied with them, and worked with them. Mm. Be serious. Real objective. So, yeah, he was sent to the psych ward of Jamaica Hospital for six days. Officers, uh, I'll continue with the article here. Officer Schoolcraft is the same man that released two years of r- recorded roll calls at NYPD precincts, leading to the award-winning series by Raymond that has revealed incompetence and corruption in the NYPD. The story of Officer Schoolcraft's forcible psych detainment was recently released in a 95-page report that vindicated officers' schoolcraft who has been suspended without pay for more than two years. Wow, now that's another unusual circumstance. Suspended without pay. So you go up against them and you're going to be suspended without pay. Right. Well, now, just to to clarify that, we've seen so many cases of police who've been suspended with pay, but those are in cases where they're accused of murder and rape and arson and, you know, actually destroying the lives of other human beings. When there are complaints against them by the public, that's right. suspended with pay. When there are complaints against them by... The, the bureaucracy suspended without. Yeah. That's right. So um, it continues here. He has since filed a lawsuit. The report was actually completed two years ago, and the NYPD has tried to keep it under wraps. The one that vindicated him. Yes, that's mm-hmm. right. Uh, more from Raymond, the guy who wrote these award win- uh, this award-winning series. In the wake of our series, NYPD Commander Raymond Kelly ordered an investigation into Schoolcraft's claims. By June 2010, that investigation produced a report that the department has tried to keep secret for nearly two years. The Voice has obtained that 95-page report, and it shows that the NYPD confirmed Schoolcraft's allegations. In other words, at the same time that police officials were attacking Schoolcraft's credibility, refusing to pay him, and serving him with administrative charges, the NYPD was sitting on a document that thoroughly vindicated his claims. Mm. So that's, that's how the police work. Well, at least right there. I mean, you can't. Uh, it's difficult to make a, a blanket statement, but I, you know, we see corruption all okay, over the that's place. Wh- that's how the NYPD works. Yeah, and uh, we see that. Um, it's well, well. Hold on, I can make a blanket statement because there is corruption all over the place. And as soon as you give human beings power, we know that scientifically yeah, they become corrupt. Sure. I mean, these people well, are almost untouchable. They tend to become corrupt. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, it's like common. It's not an unusual case. So you can pretty much ascribe this similar corruption that goes on in the uh, New, New York Police Department to other departments. It's just, you know, the question is on what scale. Obviously, you know, a smaller police department is going to have a different brand of corruption than will the New York Police Department where officers are a little more anonymous. Or where uh, there's an army of officers. Exactly. Yeah. In that you don't necessarily see the same officers over and over again uh, on a, you know, random drives through town. So, uh, it ain't Barnaby Jones there. Yeah. Schoolcraft's complaints focused on the NYPD's alleged habit of juking crime statistics to appear more effective. 
Anybody who has watched The Wire is familiar with the practice of turning felonies into misdemeanors or not reporting some crimes to make it appear as if the precinct had lower crime rates. Reports Raymond. There's more well, coming up here. We're going to get back into uh, to more of this. Also, take your calls as well at 855-450-FREE. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. You can take control of the airwaves here. 1-855-450-3733. This is Free Talk Live. This program is brought to you by Freekeen.com. Freekeen.com features audio, video, and blogs chronicling the transition to a voluntary society. Freekeen.com also has comments and discussion forums so you can be heard. Freekeen.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever you want. Toll-free number here is 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, 1-855-450-3733. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com and enjoy the features we have waiting for you there, including news updates. Get signed up. Follow us via email, Facebook, Twitter, whatever works best for you. Go to news.freetalklive.com to get on board. It's all free, of course. Bitcoins. They're the world's first potentially anonymous digital cash. With Bitcoins, there are no contracts to sign or terms of service to abide by. Anyone can download the free Bitcoin software and be using them in just a few minutes. With Bitcoins, you can send and receive money anywhere in the world without needing the permission from any bank or government and no fees. To learn how, visit WeUseCoins.org. Bitcoins, they're the Internet's cash. WeUseCoins.org. And now, thanks to BitInstant.com, you can have Bitcoins in less than an hour by depositing cash at any major bank. To buy your Bitcoins with cash, visit BitInstant.com. It's BitInstant.com. There's so much more to say about this corruption story. Let's put it on hold for a moment and go to you and your thoughts on whatever's on your mind. We're going all the way to Australia, where Jeremy is on the line. Jeremy, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian, JJ, and Mark. And if you already have some Bitcoins and you'd like to spend them, send them at spendbitcoins.com. Anyway, sorry, um, it's Jeremy. And uh, first, uh, uh, just a bit of warning um, to listeners, depending on your perspective. If you're not um, in a sexy mood, then 1-800-4503 is not the number that you want to call. Um, <laughs> you got the number wrong. <laughs> Which I just found out. Um of course, you can use that as an excuse if you if you are a big Free Talk Live fan and everybody in your family knows that and whatever, and you want to call a phone sex line uh, <laughs> and, and get caught, you can say, "I was really trying to call Free Talk Live." I swear. There People you go. actually call and you phone stayed sex on the, lines, and you stayed on the line for fifteen minutes. Right. <laughs> That's cool. he, was, he was holding for about fifteen minutes here before <laughs> uh, we put him on the air. Anyway. Um, I I was actually calling to introduce a new word into the English language. Uh, I think it's a genius new word, and just like many genius ideas like penicillin and that sort of thing, it was actually discovered by, or or coined by accident. Um, Apparently, I don't know the news story, but Elle McPherson has has said something against Jews or something. Elle McPherson, now she was like a swimsuit model at one time, right? Yeah. Okay. I I don't know. I just saw a little comment uh, about Elle McPherson and whatever she had said. And the person, um, I, I assume, was trying to say that she was being anti-Semitic, but instead they said she was being anti-semantic. And I think <laughs> that's a genius word that um, I think in a lot of contexts it, it could have nearly magical powers for, for winning arguments and stuff. So 
importantly, because being labeled anti-Semitic seems to be sort of the worst label that you can have and the most maybe career-ending label and that sort of thing. So perhaps we can put the same level on anti-Semantic. So um, like if someone, if you're having an argument and someone claims, oh, you're just, now you're just being semantic or something, then you can you can say, are you being anti-Semantic? <laughs> or um, if a politician is asked a direct question by a reporter and then they answer the way politicians do without obfuscation and, um, you know, the, the answer has nothing to do with the question and doesn't even mean anything, then the reporter can answer back, now you're just being anti-Semantic. Semantic is an adjective that is of pertaining to or arising from the different meanings of words or other symbols. So to be anti-semantic would be to be someone who is against different meanings? I'm confused as to what it would mean. I would think it would be to be against words having sort of a specific meaning or against conversation actually... Trying know, to, like trying to defend, differentiate those meanings? Saying something that doesn't... In the case of politicians saying saying things just to sound smart or whatever that doesn't actually have any meaning, I would think that would be anti-semantic. Got it. Well, thanks for sharing that tonight. Apparently, the exchange was uh, was this. Um, Howard Stern was asking her about um, her having pictures of herself on the wall. Apparently, she's got one uh, circa 1990 and her bedroom wall on the pictures beach. Pictures of herself. Nude. Yep. Um, with a gun holster around her waist and she's taken from behind. Um, the picture was taken from behind. And <laughs> she says she loves the image and uh, Stern said, you know, among other things, he said, uh, do your children get upset by that? It was probably upsetting that his mother's uh, ass was on the was in, in the bedroom and the kids were uh, bringing a friend over, he pointed out. And she said, no, McPherson replied, I think you're being absolutely Jewish. Why is that Jewish? Dumb downed. This is us.com. I'm just reading what it says. Dumb downed Stern wondered. I've had uh, this discussion with people who aren't Jewish. So she just maybe she was saying that you're being a worry wart. And yeah, that's a strange I think that Jewish mothers are known for worrying. I don't know. I yeah. mean, this doesn't sound like an anti-Semitic uh, statement at all. But, you know, it's one of these situations where, uh, you know, if you're of the wrong ethnic class, you can't make any I kind of make statement. A, I mean, I can't imagine why anyone wouldn't make that statement. I mean, would anyone say to someone else, you sound like you're being black? Here's the reason. Uh, why would they make the statement? Yeah. I don't know why they would make the statement. Do you think it's anti-Semitic? I think it's it's definitely questionable. What? She's just isn't she isn't this the, the she's ascribing a certain uh, she, she's ascribing a certain trait to somebody who has a specific uh, religion or race. And I don't know if that's really uh, appropriate. Is well, I don't Stern know if it's appropriate. Jewish? He uh, is or not. Jewish, I think, isn't he? Howard Stern. I yes, I believe he is. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know that you can. OK, so when you watch television on a regular basis, it's ubiquitous. There are jokes based on uh, all kinds of uh you know races and and ethnicities yeah and there. i don't think it's it's and, cool to joke you know about well, about race. your own it's fine to be self-deprecating oh, is, oh, wait, wait a second so chris rock isn't a racist if he uses the n-word and makes a joke but if a, a white comedian makes the same joke it's questionable yeah i think so god what's wrong with you thanks jeremy for the call tonight appreciate hearing from you i think there's one thing it's uh, just somebody hearing a joke and repeating the joke yeah it's one thing to be self-deprecating it's another thing to uh to go and you know and make jokes at other people's expense it's well, I don't know that it's necessarily a joke at somebody's expense when you're talking about, um, you know, the way that people are 
you know, they see these things in their daily life. They're introduced to the ideas. So if you're introduced to this uh, idea, this meme, the Jewish mothers worry, and you believe Plenty it. Plenty of mothers worry. Uh, but oh, hold on. That's not what I'm saying. Listen to the words coming out of my mouth. Stop having a conversation with somebody else in your head. What I'm saying to you is that people are introduced to the idea that Jewish mothers worry through uh, television. So if they come up with that idea and they believe it, it only shows the power of the medium. If other people who are Jewish Sounds make like you're jokes, making excuses for Elle McPherson. In it doesn't case. sound like she did anything to me. What do you think, JJ? I, I honestly, I think there's much better conversations we could have. As far as this this incident he describes, I mean, it's the Howard Stern show for one, and all kinds of crazy things get said on that show and done on that show. So I I, I don't know. Well, I mean, his not his job's not going to be on the line or anything like that. And she's it, it she's doesn't retired. necessarily sound like she was pointing out some racial. I don't know. It's borderline if 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 it is sort of one of those things, but I wouldn't. I personally wouldn't view it as racist. Cause I don't know if that means that she is racist or or hates Jewish people or anything like that. But I would say it's an inappropriate thing to say. Oh, well, I think that you can step in it by making these uh, these statements. Um, Toll free number here tonight is eight five five four fifty free. We have time for you and your thoughts. Plus more on the New York City Police Department corruption. Uh, there's plenty of it to talk about. On the way. 1-855-450-FREE. You can take control of the airwaves and bring up whatever you want. Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live amplifiers get access to higher quality archives free of commercial breaks and other perks. Join AMP for just $3 per month at amp.freetalklive.com. And you can bring up anything you want. Once again, 855-453. Here with you tonight, it's Ian. JJ. And Mark. We invite you to our website over at freetalklive.com. Lots of features await you there. Listening options included. We have live streams available around the clock. 24-7, the latest episode of Free Talk Live is there in broadband, dial-up, and mid-band uh, form. So different streams for different speed internet connections. Also, radio listening options are there. Over 100 great radio stations uh, now, including New York City's WWRL, Sweet. the station that listens. Uh, also, our satellite listening options, including XM Satellite Radio, Webcam, and our Listen Lines that allow you to call in from any phone that can dial long distance. So if you're listening in New York City for the first time, on Sunday morning, uh, we do this thing seven nights per week. So there's a whole lot more Free Talk Live out there uh, that you can feed yourself with at your leisure over at freetalklive.com in live streaming form and all those other forms and also pod, the, the podcast. So once again, listen.freetalklive.com will get you more of us. As we go to continuing with your phone calls, James is on the line listening in Hotlanta. James, you're on Free Talk Live. Good evening, gentlemen. Hey, what's on your mind tonight? Hey, uh, after... Super Tuesday, uh, I've in the statement of intent, I'm coming to Pork Fest and I'm going to remain in New Hampshire. Georgia wow. is, look, 
You're talking about the uh, the Porcupine Freedom Festival. You've signed the Statement of Intent for the Free State Project, which, as we've discussed quite a bit on this program, uh, is the movement of thousands of like-minded, liberty-oriented people all co- uh, coalescing into one geographic location for the purposes of getting active for liberty. And what was it about Super Tuesday that made you decide that uh, the move to New Hampshire was uh, the right thing? Well, I was pretty much involved with uh, the Ron Paul campaign in Georgia. And I don't know, we put a lot of work into it. It's pretty bad results, I thought. What were the results? 6% Ron Paul <sighs> in Georgia. Wow. 48% Newt Gingrich. Wow. Well, that's his home state. Um, you know, I mean, so was he's going to likely, likely win his home state. Yeah, I think State Forum was second. Wow. So it's not any better. Yikes. Well, I had a quick comment about y'all story. By the way, just before you go on, I did see a list of uh, of all the states they've had primaries in thus far, and I think New Hampshire was at the top of the list as far as percentages for Ron Paul. Jeez. Yeah, well, that sounds like the place for me then. <laughs> Excellent. You know, uh, JJ, I know you're working on a project that uh, presumably will be ready by the summertime, I would think, yep. uh, which is going to be addressing the issue of what to do after Ron Paul. I mean, for people that love the ideas of liberty and, you know, are opposed to war and, you know, want to be free and, you know, what do these people do when Ron Paul is over and done with? Because odds are good, you know, he's probably not going to win. Uh, and well, well, somebody has to win. You know, if we had 1% of the Ron Paul supporters. New Hampshire, that'd be the whole goal right there, probably. It sure would. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, see, a lot of us... That'd is... be the ideal. <laughs> a lot of... Well, I had a quick, quick oh. comment about your story about the child making, made to use the bathroom in the bucket. I went to Salem High School in Conyers, Georgia in 2001. In 2002 or 2003, I don't remember, they actually installed chain-link fences with barbed wire on the bathroom doors because they were too wide for doors, and they, they padlocked them. In between or during the classes, so you could not go to the bathroom. And the only unlocked bathroom was right across the uh, way from the resource officer, the police officer in the school. <laughs> and he would check your papers, your hall pass, when you went to the bathroom. That's creepy. If y'all can believe that. Ca- oh, I believe it. A, ca- a cop checking checking your hall pass to yep. go potty there at, in, in government school. Papium, bieta. I believe it. JJ, did you have a question for me? Yeah. To... Well, a lot of us uh, individuals who supported Ron Paul in 2007, 2008 moved or, or didn't really, you know, I, I moved before the primary in New Hampshire so I could vote for him here in New Hampshire. But then I quickly realized that. The Ron Paul thing was was deflating rapidly. Once he lost New Hampshire, um, it, it was all downhill from there as far as I was concerned. So then I, I refocused myself and retooled to work within the activist community that was already here within yeah, the Shire, the Free State. And uh, I think we've, we've done a lot more that extends beyond Ron Paul and the, and the ideas he has while still promoting those same principles. And I, I uh, encourage you to... Look into the various things going on. Check out freekeen dot com, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on board. I'm coming up with, you know, I'm ready to get active. That's great. Can you bring someone else up with uh, with you as well? Like while you're still down south, maybe start hitting, uh, you know, the the Ron Paul meetups and you know, libertarian yeah, parties. On one, I got one friend who's interested, but he's going to med school, so. Well, there's Dartmouth. When, there is Dartmouth College, and then uh, whenever you get out of college, always that's a good time to make a move. It's a good time yep. to uh, to change your life uh, and, and what's going on. James, uh, good luck with the 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 transition, and th- and thanks for the call tonight. I appreciate well, hearing. Well, I have one more one more comment. I okay, guess quick. if you got a break, I'll take it after the break. No, no, no go ahead. 
Yeah, I, I started working for this company building water tanks in November, and I work with illegal aliens, you know, so-called illegal aliens. I started in November, and since then, six Americans have, besides me have gotten jobs there, and all of them have quit within a few days or, or, or weeks. Because it's, it's too hard? A government, yeah, it's a hard, it's manual labor. I mean, it's fairly hard. Yeah, it's they, actually government jobs that's protected by the Davis-Bacon Act, which basically, you know, you get a good wage. And it's funny because these people come out there and they say, well, you know, I, I need a job, I'm unemployed, whatever, and then they end up quitting. Yeah, I guess but they didn't need it that I, I bad. They, I saw the government destroy someone's life very recently, an illegal. He was pulled over in Georgia for driving without a license. Oh, my God. And <laughs> they actually deported him because he's an oh, illegal alien. That's horrible. And they ruined his life because now he's separated from his family. And was he one of your coworkers? Yeah, I see. He's can he not get, can because, he not, not get a driver's license because he's illegal? I don't know what the the rules are. I, I hear that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, apparently so. I don't know what the deal was. Yeah, how could you do that, Mark? About, I mean, you're, I'm you're asking. Without, you're here without government permission slip. They're not I know some places you, you can. License. There's the sanctuary cities and things like that. Hey, James, I'm like sorry. Half to hear my that. coworkers don't have licenses. Mm. Thanks for the they told me. But anyway, th- thanks for the story, man. I appreciate hearing from you, and see you at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. It's a big deal, uh, you know, to make a decision like that to decide to move to New Hampshire to get active for liberty, leave behind whatever life you've you've had, where it is that you were living, and uh, big choice. So. Thanks you know, for making it. A lot of people believe that if they make uh, immigration, illegal immigration, more difficult, that uh, the jobs will be picked up by Americans, um, you know, or people that are here legally or whatever. But the, in fact, the evidence shows that that's not true. Is that these jobs will be, uh, you know, fr- frankly undone because Americans won't work, won't do the kind of labor for the kind of pay we're talking it. about. We see it again and again. Yeah. I mean, there's no there's no shortage of these stories. Remember, so these are costs that are that that are wrought upon every American by you know. I mean, I'm sure that some people will do the job for say twice as much. I don't know for certain, but you know, for twice as much. But then that bring that pushes the costs on down to the consumer. Everybody it, pays. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty certain that uh, it's pretty safe to say actually that if you had a magic wand that got rid of all the illegals and sent them right back to their countries, that a good portion of the economy in, in the agricultural section, especially, and the manual labor markets, will just tank. It, you you, know, you won't get your vegetables. That's they what happened in, in Georgia. I mean, he was just calling from Georgia. That's what happened uh, when they did the crackdown uh, there. It was last year, I think, sometime. The, the veggies were literally rotting on the vine because they couldn't find enough people to fill the jobs that the immigrants had left. We've read the same story. It's a similar story out of Alabama. I mean, this is happening all across the United States. That's as right. These, uh, states crack down on people coming here to work. Right. And, you know, throwing them out of the country. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that there's no problems with people coming here, you know, undocumented or whatever. But I am going to say that uh, I would say there's no problem. There needs to be a huge reform. There's no problem with people coming here. Oh, sure there is. There's a huge problem with it. Um, if you, for instance, force if, – if you make it illegal, people come here, work under the table, then their bosses control them like slaves because they can throw them out. Oh, I see what so, you mean. There's problems for them. There's all kinds here. of problems. But there's nothing inherently in the wrong with the idea of someone coming here. People right? should be – free people should be able Absolutely. should be free to work um, across imaginary lines. Um, as long know, as someone's well, willing to free. hire them, 855-450-FREE, and I certainly would be because in my experience, immigrants are really great workers. That's and just they, a, 
you know, you're making arbitrary statements. Some I of them said in my are. experience, yeah. that's not an arbitrary statement. That's my observation. 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronics, photo, cell phone, office products, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supplies, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Shop.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, get a great deal, and a portion of your purchase goes to benefit Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon via shop.freetalklive.com. anything you want, even in these remaining moments, enough time for your call and your thoughts. The toll-free number is one 450 It's the SACL CAI toll-free line, 855-450-3733. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. Enjoy the features you will find there. And if you like the show and want to help support Free Talk Live, you can do that. Uh, you can become an amplifier. Go to amp.freetalklive.com. Get signed up for the AMP program. AMP stands for Advertise, Market, and Promote. And the idea is you send in three bucks a month. We invest it in the show. Get on more great radio stations like WWRL uh, in New York City and uh, bring more people to the ideas of freedom. So go to amp.freetalklive.com. Get signed up. Get perks like access to the AMP-only call-in lines, the AMP-only podcast and more, all there at amp.freetalklive.com. Jason Osborne, guy behind SACL CAI, the one who sponsors our phone lines here at Free Talk Live, is the one who's setting up Porkfest this year, uh, he and his lovely wife, and they want you to go to porkfest.com, that's P-O-R-C-F-E-S-T.com, and uh, pre-register, porkfest.com. All right, so uh, we are going to go back to the beginning of the hour and continue discussing the New York City corruption, systemic corruption, that likely rises all the way to the top of the organization. One man, one officer, decided he was going to begin recording the interactions he had on a daily basis, so hours and hours and hours of recordings here yes. uh, that the Village Voice has released or is releasing in a, a periodical They, they released, uh, I believe, a five-part series back in 2010. Okay, so this has already all come out. Yes. Uh, and this, so this is revealing some of the corruption that's been going on, which includes brushing certain types of crimes under the rug, encouraging officers to meet their quotas, which they have quotas not only for ticketing people, but also quotas for shaking, uh, shaking people down as they call Stop them. And yeah, Stop and frisks. Stop and frisks. Yeah. So basically, Adrian Schoolcraft, uh, an NYPD officer of eight years, he works in the 81st Precinct in Brooklyn. He's captured his superiors urging police officers to do two things in order to manipulate the stats that the department is under pressure to produce. This article that I'm reading now is, comes from thevillagevoice.com. Officers were told to arrest people who were doing little more than standing on the street. But they were also encouraged to disregard actual victims of serious crimes who wanted to file reports. Arresting bystanders made it look like the apartment was efficient while artificially reducing the amount of serious crime that made the commander look good. Well, right. And if you're arresting bystanders for whatever piddly crap, I mean, we've, I've read a story out of New York City where a guy was arrested for sitting on a milk crate. I mean, it was like improper use of a milk crate or something <laughs> like that. Seriously. And uh, they will arrest these people for these minor 
so-called offenses, ordinance violations, essentially, and cash in. I mean, there's money to be made when you arrest those people. But if you actually go after a a robber or you go after an arsonist or something like that, there's no money to be made. This story addresses that. There's there's a lot of good stuff here. Well, there's uh, this thing called the broken window theory that uh, has gone around in police and it was used in the department. And they talk about that when talking about how New York has cleaned up. And this broken window theory essentially says catch small crimes and you don't have big crimes. So they are really incentivized. I mean, you know, they're they're trying to bolster the theory that if if we catch the small crimes, then we don't have to worry about the big crimes. So in October 2009, uh, Adrian Schoolcraft met with the NYPD investigators, not the police, but the investigators. After three hours, he detailed more than a dozen cases of crimes. Three weeks later... Crimes by the officers? No, crimes that the the police had committed in their paperwork. Three weeks after that meeting, he was sent to uh, Jamaica Hospital Psychiatric Ward for six days due to his commander. So uh, the story goes on. That'll teach him. That sends a message, by the way, to the rest of the department. Oh, yeah, chilling. Yeah. You, don't you do what Schoolcraft did, boys. So Yes, exactly. So the voice obtained uh, the 95-page report that shows and confirms Schoolcraft's allegations and claims. In other words, at the same time the police were uh, deteriorating his image and, and uh, attacking him, refusing to pay him, and serving him with administrative charges, they were sitting on a document that thoroughly vindicated his claims. Investigators went beyond Schoolcraft-specific claims and found many other instances in the 81 pre- precinct where crimes reporting, uh, where crimes that were reported were missing, or misclassified, altered, rejected, or not even entered in the computer system in the first place. These weren't minor incidents. The victims included a Chinese food delivery man robbed and beaten bloody, mm-hmm. a man robbed at gunpoint, a cab driver robbed at gunpoint, a woman assaulted and beaten black and blue, a woman Jeez. beaten by her spouse, a woman burgled by men who forced their way into her apartment. These are all crimes they made go away. These are all crimes. This gets into it here uh, shortly, but uh, these are all crimes that were lowered in charges. That, I see. So when viewed in their totality, terror, uh, totality, a disturbing pattern is prevalent and gives credence to the allegation that the crimes are being improperly reported in order to avoid index crime classifications. This is where they, they index the crimes as far as serious crimes go in this list mm-hmm. and less serious crimes go in this list. This so tri- the idea is, is that they don't want uh, people to believe that you know that there's serious crime going on in, in Bedford Stuy. Yeah, right. The, the quote: "This trend is indicative of a con- concerted effort to deliberately underreport crime in the 81st precinct." The investigation found that crime complaints were changed to reflect misdemeanor rather than felony crimes, which prevented those incidents from being counted in the all-important crime statistics. In addition, the investigation concluded that an unwillingness to prepare reports for index crimes exists or existed in the command. Moreover, a a significant number of serious index crimes were not entered into the computer tracking system known as Omniform. Quote, this was more than than an administrative error, quote, unquote, the probe concluded, which no doubt is it's it's from the top down. Absolutely. And, you know, some people will listen to the defenders of the police. We've lost a radio station uh, within the last few months because some people called and they didn't like what Free Talk Live had to say about the police. Didn't the station have the the chief of police on in a show or something like that, too? Some stations do. I don't recall if that was the case in in this particular incident. But 
you know, there's a certain defender, there's a, kind of the group of folks out there that'll defend the police. You know, this is not, this is just one department, JJ. This is just the 81st precinct. It's just a few bad apples. Yeah. I mean, this isn't like this all across the New York City or across the whole country. Actually, Come on now. Actually, the story goes on. John Eterno, a criminologist at Malloy College and former NYPD captain, says that was what was happening at the 81st precinct was no isolated case. Quote, the pressures on commanders are enormous to make sure that crime numbers look good, unquote, Eternal mm-hmm. says. Quote, this is a culture. This is happening in every precinct, every transit dis- district, and every police housing <laughs> surface area. Wow. This culture has got to change. Unquote. It won't. So Never. It won't change. It's, it's the culture of, of the police in this city to just just do whatever they have to do to make the, the numbers reflect what it's they politics. need to reflect. They're, they're playing politics with people's lives here. They would need to fire a certain amount of people on every level, and I wouldn't right. be able to That's say what level, happen. and it's just not going to happen. I mean, I mean, the police union is not going to let that no happen. No way. These so, people are completely protected, and right. think about it. Think about how dangerous these people are. Like, these cops, yes. they can hurt you, and there's nothing you can really do about it. And so... Who would want to put their own political career on the line attempting to go after the police chief or one of these precinct captains? Who wants to – which politician wants to go ahead and wear that on their sleeve as the politician who's crusading against the police? Now, no doubt – if you do take that position, you're going to get a lot of support from the people in the community who are the victims of these police. But those people generally feel disenfranchised and mostly don't vote. Secondly, those people uh, and they're scared to death are going to be. There's going to be a war within your party. Mostly those. I'm just going to guess. Mostly those people are going to be more on the Democrat side than the Republican side, and you're splitting the union vote. At that point, because the the police union will that will pressure, uh, you know, other unions not to support that same politician. Well, there's, well, there is something you can do, especially those of you listening in New York City. Well, yeah. What solution? Well, there's a solution. Adrian Schoolcraft has is uh, started a website where he's collecting even more reports from other NYPD officers, and like anonymous trying, kind of. Uh, yes, reports? he he wants to hear your story. He wants to. Uh, to collect more name is every all your information you submit wow, is optional. Wow, good for him for like not backing down on this. So you would want to go to schoolcraftjustice.com. That's his website, hmm. schoolcraftjustice.com. If you're a, a concerned craft spelled with a C or a K. With it's a usually C. a C, yeah. Okay. If you're a concerned a relative or a spouse of a, someone who works for the police force that has been telling you about what's going on, mm-hmm. if you are on the force itself and you want to want to back up these allegations which have already been backed up, Adrian Schoolcraft has already been vindicated by the own internal memo of the police, that the report by the police. So if you want to add to this and you want to see some real changes where you live, be a part of this. Submit some comments. Help expose the corruption. Oh, well, I can tell you being scared and sticking your head in the ground sure as hell isn't going to change anything. I mean, I know I'm pretty skeptical when it comes to seeing changes come to the, uh, the, you know, the government police system. But saying nothing isn't going to help. Right. You and there, again, schoolcraftjustice.com is where people can go uh, specifically for New York City. That's right. Right. Uh, and so that's that's useful. But, man. Otherwise, go to copblock.org. That's another great website. Hey, we'll be back uh, tomorrow night. You can join us online in the meantime at freetalklive.com. It has been Ian here with you. JJ. And Mark. Once again, join us online over at freetalklive.com.
The following edition of the Edgington Post interview series is brought to you by the Free Talk Live AMP program. Become a Free Talk Live amplifier today for as little as three bucks a month. Get perks and help us get on more radio stations and more internet connections at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. And here's Mark. All right. It's, a, it's another edition of the Edgington Post show here on Free Talk Live. And today I've got, you know, I've got some friends over at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And, you know, they've, they're constantly doing uh, policy research and, uh, you know, looking into what the federal government's doing, what Leviathan is uh, getting its, its fingers into this time. And I've got with me Mark Scribner. Mark? Are you there? Mark, thanks for having me. <laughs> no problem. Now, Mark, uh, Mark Scribner handles, uh, well, transportation, essentially, at CEI. And you have the, uh, the unenviable position of keeping an eye on what the House and the Senate and what they are, you know, all the stuff they're writing down that nobody reads, right? Right. And, and in addition, uh, federal re- uh, uh, regulatory agencies that even fewer people read yes. of what they're putting out. It's amazing how much of this stuff that they pass that affects our lives on a day-to-day basis and how few people read it. Uh, I think that's definitely true, true with transportation. Like, uh, take the, the, the Senate bill that just passed, for instance. Uh, which one is that? Over an 18 month, uh, that was the, that was the MAP 21, which was the bill that passed, okay. uh, on Wednesday. And, uh, for 18 months, this provides $109 billion worth of funding. So, uh, is that a lot, lot or a little? At, that's a that's that's quite a bit of that's okay. quite a bit of money. Uh, so uh, we've got uh, we've got a you know this this, this whole sector is is often neglected by uh, the mainstream media. Uh, I mean, they will cover traffic reports and things like that, but what is actually going on behind the scenes? Um, just because it does, you know, virtually when you start with any sort of topic, it gets into the weeds really quickly and gets very technical. So a lot of that is, you know, it's 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 difficult to put this uh, some of this stuff into into neat sound bites that you well, can see at you know at the six o'clock news. So they, the- they tend to avoid it. During the, uh, the, the the economic downturn, uh, the biggest one of, of certainly my lifetime and most people's lifetimes, there's some people that have went through the uh, the Great Depression, but here for the Great Recession, I mean, we were told we're going to work our way out of this by repairing crumbling roads and bridges, right? I mean, so there was a, a great deal exactly. of that going on, huh? Right, and that's what they're talking about. And you know, and I think whenever whenever you hear politicians talking about spending a lot of money, um, you know, it's true that uh, you know it might be wise. Uh, um, you know, if you if you buy, like, assuming you buy into sort of the the Keynesian you know kind of mindset that dominates Washington, it would, in, from their perspective, it would indeed be wise to to spend money on say infrastructure projects. But since these things tend to stick around, you know, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, seventy years. You mm-hmm. want to make sure you're investing in the right things when when you're extracting tax dollars from people. I mean, you don't just want to. I mean, if your only goal is to create jobs and to and to stimulate aggregate demand, uh, you know, it makes just as much sense to hire people to to dig one hole uh, and then fill another. Fill another. Um, sure. So it's it's very important when you know when the when the federal government is uh, is dealing with you know we're, uh, you know we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars uh, that they actually make somewhat. Intelligent investment decisions. Oh, what are the chances of that? 
So um, <laughs> they're at a very low. <laughs> <laughs> so Keynesianism. I mean, obviously, it is the uh, it's the philosophy of Washington because it makes Washington relevant and important. It makes any you know sort of centralized um, uh, monopoly monopolistic body important because you know the suggestion is is that you know, smart people with good degrees can uh, make these choices for the rest of us and that uh, things will things will work out great. They'll stimulate the economy and and do all these things. Um, but you know, I mean, it's 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 pretty much a bankrupt philosophy. From if you consider, I think most Americans would consider it a bankrupt philosophy at this point if they knew what it was. Um, when when does uh, when does Keynesianism finally atrophy, wither, and die and fall off the vine? Um, unfortunately, when it comes to when it comes to transportation, uh, uh, it, that is you know that's not in the stars any anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, the, I mean when you when you talk to federal policymakers. Um, you know, we've had there have been the interstate system was completed, uh, you, you know, twenty over twenty years ago. And when when the interstate system, when they were devising this back in the mid early to mid fifties, and actually that process actually goes back to the nineteen thirties, uh, trying to come up with this, you know, uh, this this national superhighway system. But when they actually created it in the fifties, it was the understanding of virtually everyone involved that once the interstate system was completed, so you know, the forty some thousand miles of super Superhighway that we have now, uh, that uh, the federal programs would be wound down. Now, so so since 1991, <laughs> which was the first uh, program that was that was the first highway bill that was reauthorized post interstate construction, uh, virtually nothing's changed, and we've you know we've continued spending more money. And every time um, you know uh, libertarians and fiscal conservatives argue in favor of of devolving funding responsibility at least to the states, you have a ton of people in Congress. Congress who do not want to relinquish that power, uh, and they say, well, you know, they come up with all sorts of excuses, such as, oh, well, we need to have this, you know, this coordinated federal policy, because if we didn't have that, you know, the whole system would fall apart, which is, which is frankly absurd. Um, right, because sort of states can't make, believe, and that's how they go. States can't keep paved uh, rock uh, maintained, and, uh, you know, certainly couldn't build roads that would connect with each other or anything. Um, right, and- and, and you know, and there's no way for for transportation practitioners to actually coordinate with one another, you know, across state lines. That's, you know, but, that, I mean, that's what they believe. But this, you know, it is it's 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 ridiculous. Now, I often uh, level the challenge uh, to my listeners, uh, you know, new and old alike, to come up with that federal program that worked. Give me one federal program that worked. And generally, I get no answer at all. But uh, when I do get an answer, one of the answers tends to be the interstate system. I mean, I don't know how it is for other people, but I have driven along the uh, the Eisenhower interstate system in my life, and I've said, you know what? This really is a testament to uh, man's ability to put together something monolithic that works. I mean, I have no idea what the spending was on this, and I'm, I, I generally remind people when you consider that a, uh, what something might be as a success, that you know, if I went out and bought a brand new Honda Accord or something like that, and I spent sixty thousand dollars on it, my wife wouldn't consider that a success because that car should cost maybe thirty tops. So if I double the price, I may have gotten a good working car. I did, however, pay double for it. Sure, 
And, you know, and the interstate system was supposed to be completed, I think the original number was was 12 years. Uh, it ended up taking them 35 years Got it. Um, uh, to, to build it. So, um, and, and, you know, in, in terms of uh, how it was funded and how it was sort of coordinated, obviously there were problems in urban areas with, you know, these, these transportation planners um, going in and demolishing these lower-income neighborhoods and using eminent domain power uh, to seize their land to run these these big highways through it. So there were certainly problems with it. But overall, in terms of, you know, uh, federal policy, this was one of the, at least constructing the, the, the network was one of the I don't know. It, 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 it's a sum, it's somewhat of a success story. Right. It's hard it to was, call it. It was actually. It's it hard to use the term used, success. Sorry, oh, sorry. sorry. I was just trying to say it's hard to use the term success when you're talking right. about <laughs> an organization as big as the federal government. But at the same time, I suppose it's worth acknowledging that uh, sometimes they screw up less than others. Right, and that's and that's certainly true. And in, in this case, uh, because the way that it was, the the way that funding was structured, it was always pay as you go. Uh, they they uh, they moved, uh, they raised the federal gas tax, uh, and then moved, dedicated that to uh, to interstate construction. Um, and then they, you know, so that w- that went on for thirty five years. Um, so they it never, you know, it never created deficit, it never ran deficits, um, and it, it paid for itself. And at the time, you know. Uh, it was actually quite cheap uh, to, to build these uh, to build these networks. Now we're coming up on 50 years uh, for, for much of the interstate system, and, now, and it needs to be completely reconstructed. And there are uh, a number of new federal le- uh, regulations, as you as you might expect, that have come uh, down the pipe since then. So the cost of reconstructing the system is much higher uh, than it was to actually build it originally uh, in real dollars. So, um, so right now we're facing you know uh, an uncertain funding future uh, with the interstate, just basically because the the politicians in Washington uh, cannot come up with a coherent vision of what, you know, of what of what the federal government's role in surface transportation should be. So are you saying to me that the interstate system came in within budget or is it because it stretched out so long that uh, from the 12 years, uh, let's, uh, 35 years versus 12 years that, you know, that's three times as long. Was it three times over budget because it still was, you know, running sort of in the, you know, it was pay as you go. Um, so it was working out that way. So was it in within budget or not within budget or did they not even come up with a number as to what this thing would cost? Uh, oh, it, it, it was far over the original budget. But uh, I guess the, the point I was trying to make is that it was never, you know, they never they couldn't spend more than they were actually taking in okay. to the highway trust fund. Gotcha. So the tr- you know the trust fund would collect these fuel taxes, and then that would be uh, dispersed to the states through formula grant system. Um, and that's more or less that's still the system we have in place, except they've done a bunch of sort of silly things like uh, establishing a mass transit account where drivers who are paying uh, fuel taxes at uh, where they're not actually paying them at the pump, but they're you know the, it, it trickles down from where they pull it out of the terminals, um, but where drivers were actually paying for the fuel taxes, um, now uh, a good 25% of, of what they're paying uh, in taxes is going into mass transit systems, uh, and, you know, particularly in, uh, in large, uh, wealthy urban areas, you know, like New York and Washington uh, that have these big subway systems. So they're taking money from car drivers and giving them to bus riders and train riders and things like that. 
Right. I mean, and that's why, you know, I mean, transit is uh, certainly highways uh, and, and driving in general are, are subsidized, uh, which, you know, I'm not I'm, I'm not in favor of that. I would like to get rid of all the subsidies and ideally uh, move to more uh, to at least public private partnerships for highways and, and well, turnpikes, uh, but ideally have an outright privatization sometime in the future. But yeah, I mean, in terms of if you're looking at subsidies per uh, per passenger mile, uh, transit is 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 far is far higher than uh, you know than the subsidies per passenger mile for for drivers. So is there yeah, a we're place? spending a bunch of money. Is, of, is there a place in the United States where mass transit works from a monetary standpoint? <laughs> Um, there are a few places where you could argue that it's uh, that it's sort of essential. Uh, it's all every system is subsidized. Um, you could argue, at least with, when it comes to rail transit, which works uh, efficiently virtually nowhere. Uh, but you could argue that it works uh, and that it's necessary in New York. It would be hard to, um, but you hard to, to imagine New York without rail. Right, uh, and but you have to remember the the majority of that system was built by private subway companies yes. uh, in the twentieth century. Uh, so uh, you. you like I mean, the, the problem is is that we have too much government involved uh, in the transportation sector, uh, and they're very unwilling to uh, to give up any sort of control. Uh, to you know, I mean, we have uh, and we also have a we have an industry. We have a we have the the road and and transit building industry that has a, a vested interest in keeping these funding levels high and making sure that uh, they're as uh, stable as possible, so that the, the you know the subsidies keep flowing and that they have a predictable revenue stream, uh, you know, flowing into their bank accounts. So, I mean, there's, there, are, there are a few, you know, there are a few interests who actually come out and say, hey, we need to, we need to reevaluate what we're doing right now. This isn't working. Uh, we're bankrupting the Highway Trust Fund. Uh, we're spending money uh, that was collected from drivers on things that have nothing to do with highways and, and sometimes nothing to do with transportation at all. Um, so something needs to be done, uh, but you know, you just have this sort of uh, this sort of stagnant attitude in Washington uh, that says, "Well, you know, this is how we've done it forever." Even though the the people who can see the interstate system anticipated that this would be wound down, uh, so this next generation of transportation planners uh, comes in and basically tries to preserve that, and in fact uh, increase uh, you know spending authority and regulatory power over our uh, transportation system. So, what organization, what uh, department organization uh, is is overseeing this uh, these 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 uh, national highway systems? Uh, that's the, the Federal Highway Administration oversees the uh, our, our you know both the interstate system and the other federal aid highway uh, uh, programs that we have. Uh, and there, if you go, if you know, you can you can find us online. There are you know over a dozen uh, separate programs that this money that's you know collected from drivers uh, filters down into. Um, for example, there's there's one. Congestion Mitigation and Air Quality Improvement Program, uh, and the idea behind that, when they created that, was, well, you know, we uh, we need to we have some congested urban corridors that we'd like to have less congested, and we have some uh, air pollution problems in urban areas that we'd like to resolve. Um, instead, uh, they made the requirements so um, so easy to fulfill that uh, I don't know if you've heard of Washington's Capital Bike Share System, but it's this, you know, it's this, uh, you know, they have the, the 
these bike racks up around town where uh, where mostly you know wealthy people with credit cards put that in uh, put their credit card in and then they have a uh, a bike uh, that they can drive around or that they can ride around for uh, for you know uh, you know a day or a, a few hours or something but that money came through CMAC. Um, and it has. We, they know that it has negligible impact on both congestion and air quality. Yet they continue to fund uh, these programs uh, to millions of dollars. Uh, you know, this thing would not exist, uh, or I, I would have a hard time envisioning it existing in a in a purely private market. Um, but we have these things, uh, these little toys, uh, and and it's all over the place. I mean, we've had funding from the, these are called enhancements, and it's. Another way for for uh, uh, for the the feds to flex uh, driver raised revenue, uh, and it's been used to renovate taverns uh, and other historic landmarks. Um, things that have <laughs> so people can drive through them. So people can drive through the taverns. Unfortunately, no, they can't. <laughs> so oh, I think they can park at them, though. Um, <laughs> Now this uh, this map twenty one uh, Senate bill. Now it, this is not law at this point, um, and right, it, it's what one hundred nine billion dollars, and you know federal highway programs, and it goes for for eighteen months. What we know that the federal government always stays on task in in passing laws, and what you know most states they have laws that say that every law must uh, be one you know deal with one thing, but the federal government will slide all kinds of other stuff in. Has that happened with this law? Sure, uh, and you know there were there were a lot of bad things that were rejected, but there were a few um, provisions that were included uh, that you know uh, should have been should have been tossed out. Uh, one of them, which had nothing to do with transportation at all, uh, was an amendment uh, that was introduced by Senator Carl Levin of Michigan, uh, and what that was, uh, it was it was supposedly closing tax loopholes. But what it does is it uses a. Uh, uh, provision of the Patriot Act, uh, and it kind of twists that around, and it basically gives the U.S. Treasury more authority to go after, um, you know, what the, the countries that they view as tax shelters. Basically, those countries that have decent bank secrecy and, and client protection laws uh, in place. Uh, so it, it allows the Treasury to go after them uh, and uh, initiate uh, punitive actions against these countries and target, uh, target banks located there so that, you know, customers of of banks uh, could see their uh, their credit cards uh, uh you know their credit card access being uh, being uh, disrupted uh, through through this provision, uh, and and Levin has been pushing this for uh, for several years now, and he finally got a uh, this this isn't as bad as he uh, as he originally wanted it I think in 2009, but he got a watered down version uh, uh, inserted into the highway bill, the Senate highway bill, uh, and it passed, uh, and it had it had you know uh, in addition to the you know expected uh, Democratic support, uh, it had. Uh, Quite a bit of Republican support as well, uh, which you know just goes to show that uh, you know Republicans can't really be trusted to uh, to take seriously these you know these uh, these uh, personal economic freedom issues. Well, it says Patriot Act in it, so of course they're going to support. Right. It. Yeah, you know, exactly. So these laws really have had an, an incredible effect on the uh, the international uh, financial uh, you know sector. When you take a look at, I mean, there was a, a bank in Switzerland that had never done business in the United States. The United States government went in and shut it down. In Panama, their financial sector has been 
destroyed by the United States. Uh, you know, they used to have mm-hmm. some of the, um, you know, some some of the uh, the, the best privacy. Uh, if you know, dep- I, best I suppose is a superlative that uh, is is subjectively applied, but have some of the most private banking laws in the world. And at this point, they have some of the most transparent to the point that that you have IRS agents, you know, skulking about Panama, talking to expats and finding out what they're doing with their money. I mean, it's weird. There's IRS spies in Panama. Sure, and it's you know when you're when you're when you're a smaller country and you're and you know and you're and you want to allow uh, sort of these 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 pro consumer uh, this, this pro consumer atmosphere when it comes to the the financial sector uh, you I mean there's hell to pay if you go up against uh, what the United States wants and you know we've seen it time and time again where you have these where you see you have these you know, tiny island nations or, you know, otherwise just small countries right. uh, who are trying to develop their uh, financial sector and actually do some pretty innovative stuff when it comes to finance. Um, but you see, you know, the United States Treasury uh, breathing down their necks saying, like, if you do this, we're going to, you know, impose X sanction on you. Uh, we're going to make it very difficult for your, not only your clients, uh, but your businesses uh, to do business in our country and in our allies' countries. So, I mean, the, I mean, the threat they view the threat uh, and rightly so of uh, you know the United States uh, they take that very seriously um, and it's and often it's just the threat uh, not any sort of you know official action on the part of the United States government but it's just the threat and uh, that's enough to uh, to sort of uh, cool uh, these you know these business climates and actually and, and kind of wipe out these these entire sectors yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know how it's done, but I can see that the the, the effects and how they're wrought, and I you know I, I find it it's very interesting. You can see that uh, the, the the world is homogenizing, and it's homogenizing under the rules that the United States puts forth, and that's very uh, you know like undemocratic. If you think that democracy is great, um, you know, I mean, these other people don't have any choices. <laughs> Right, that, that, that's certainly true. And you know, in you know, in fairness to our you know our overlords here in the United States, a lot of this is also coming out of Europe. Uh, you have things like Basel Three uh, that uh, well to take this back to uh, transportation. Uh, so we have a, you know we have a few public-private partnerships here in the United States where you have a private firm that goes in and basically takes ownership and operating responsibility uh, from the government over you know uh, thirty to fifty years. Um, a lot of that financing just because uh, these these uh, these uh, road investors happen to be based in Europe because they started doing this, uh, actually innovating in this sector about 20 years before the United States actually got on, uh, you know, got on board this. Uh, a lot of the banks that used to, uh, the European banks that used to uh, finance this are seeing their hands tied with Basel III, in addition to, obviously, you know, the European uh, the financial sector crisis that's going on right now. Um, so we're seeing less and less uh, uh, investment available uh you know from these these traditional sources of capital uh that that back these projects uh you know uh so i mean it's having a very cooling effect on the uh, on the ppp world as well which i think is PPP very concerning world? because that or the, the public private partnership gotcha. world I'm, okay. uh, I'm sorry i'm speaking in acronyms um, but uh, <laughs> but, uh so it's having the, and i think that you know uh, public private partnerships are uh you know as an incremental step toward uh, I hope ultimate uh, 
privatization of these of these uh, roadways. Uh, I think that's the best way to go. And right now, we're seeing because of international regulations uh, and domestic regulations, we're seeing uh, that sort of uh, slow down. I don't think it's dead yet, but we're seeing you know sort of government reentrench itself in this sector, where you know a lot of them were quite scared that they were going to, uh, at least at the federal level, that they were uh, going to lose control over these highways uh, because you know that's less money uh, for them to play with. Um, and uh, so right now, things on the uh, on the transportation front in general are just not looking good uh, from a from a free market perspective. So, Mark Scribner, um, you know, folks can find out more at uh, what is it CEI dot um, org or com? I can't remember. Yep. Okay. And, um, you know, I, what other what other ways can they keep in tune with you and the stuff that you're working on? Well, we've also got a uh, – we have a, our uh, regulatory policy blog, which is at openmarket.org. And I'm also on Twitter, uh, uh, you know, uh, at Mark Scribner. So uh, – and I, I post a bunch of – it'd probably be very boring for, uh, for a lot of your listeners and, and, you know, and virtually anyone with a pulse. Uh, but I do uh, stay on top of uh, both the federal uh, regulatory state with respect to transportation and, uh, and federal uh, transportation legislation. Mark Scribner, CEO. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Available now, four new songs from Raja Mojo. Raja Mojo. That's R-A-J-A-M-O-J-O. Raja Mojo. Call it democracy. Raja Mojo. Everybody knows the game is rigged. The poor stay poor, the rich stay rich. Four new songs from Raja Mojo. Buy them today at Amazon, iTunes, Napster, and at a discount at CDBaby.com.